It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Great panel for you. From a blizzarding Austin, Texas, Wesley Faulkner is here. Father Roberts here from late night Vatican City. And from the tech meme ride home, Brian McCullough. We're going to talk about cryptocurrency. It has its time arrived, finally. Clubhouse, Wesley's got strong feelings about Clubhouse. And then we'll talk about the super micro hack. It's back, baby. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 810, recorded Sunday, February 14th, 2021, in a room with Oprah. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Podium. Find out how Podium can help your business reach more customers. Get started free today at podium.com slash twit. And by Casper. You deserve a fresh start this year. Reset your rest with supremely comfortable mattresses, bedding, and more. From Casper. Go to Casper.com slash twit1 and use the code twit1 for $100 off select mattresses. And by Melissa. Like expired milk, 30% of your customers' data goes bad every year. That's money down the drain. Visit Melissa's developer portal for free access to data quality APIs, demos, and code samples. Freshen up your sour data today with 1,000 records cleaned for free at Melissa.com slash twit. And by ESET. ESET protects businesses worldwide with internet security products and services backed by world-class research and tech support. Get your free ESET business trial and an interactive demo at business.eset.com slash twit and save 20% on ESET protect bundles for a limited time. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, our Tech News Roundtable, which is actually really a hemisphere, a, a semicircle of a table with rounded corners, so I don't know what you call it. But fortunately, around this table, we have a wonderful panel. Joining us now from the Tech Meme Ride Home, Internet historian Brian McCullough. Good to see you, Brian. Good to see you, Leo. Yes, sir. He is. You can tell he's an internet historian because he has a collection of Time magazine covers featuring the internet <laughs> behind him. <laughs> the, the, the only excuse for that would be that's your internet historian in, in action. I also have a um, ten shares of. Oh yeah, uh, yes. U.S. U.S. Steel. Yeah. U.S. Steel. Well, that'll be worth something someday. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, my mom when uh, her uh, mother died uh, got a lot of. Like those, like physical shares of, you know, things like Union Carbide, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, just companies that I think are long gone, and she's never cashed them in. We don't know what the value, the basis is on them or anything. They're just they're paper on the wall. Is there, are those shares good? I mean, like the date on it is. 1903. So, wow. I mean, and, and it's not. canceled. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. okay. I'd but, rather... you know, it, it's one of those things where you always hear those stories about the old ladies that, you know, um, had a company that got folded into this, that got folded into that, that got folded into Pfizer. And then, you know, when yeah. she dies, they, it turns out that she's she worth $20 million. Or something. Yeah. yeah. You'd be better off buying some Bitcoin these days. <laughs> also with us, Dogecoin. 
Also with us, the master of Dogecoin. He got in at the bottom, got out at the bottom. Father Robert Balasair, <laughs> the digital Jesuit. I, I actually don't have any uh, stock certificates from U.S. Steel or from Union Carbide. However, today I did find, after a lot of looking, one of my lost Dogecoin wallets that has about probably 150, 200,000 Doge on it. Oh, that's good. They're up to a, but a, it will take, a nickel. It will take up to a month. It will take up to a month to sync the wallet because that, that particular blockchain network is slow. Yeah. I, I, you know, every time I uh, open my Bitcoin core wallet and have to sync it, it's more than 100 gigabytes of data that you have to yeah, download. Yeah, it it's takes crazy. a while. crazy. That blockchain is, cr chain is crazy big. Oh, good. I'm glad you have a little left. How much did you say? About so in this particular wallet, probably between one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty thousand. I haven't had a total. I mined a total of two million, I but know. I traded some of that in to get some Bitcoin. So I'm not exactly sure how much I have left. <laughs> there, there are like four outstanding wallets I have to find. That's awesome. At least you know the password to yours. <laughs> probably Bitcoin is almost fifty thousand. Let me see what it is right now. It's going up all the time. And while I'm doing that, let's say hello. Yeah, forty nine thousand one hundred ninety one dollars as we record. Let's say hello to Wesley Faulkner, who is a developer hello, advocate hello. for the Daily Co. Hi, good to see you. I am always down for a bromance. Bromance. That's it. This is the <laughs> bromance episode. Valentine's Day bromance. Uh, it's good to have you all. Uh, I don't know where to begin. There, this is sometimes uh, the tech stories have a kind of coherent thread to them. Sometimes it's just a tossed salad. This is a tossed salad edition. So I don't know. I don't. I mean, any point I begin, it will, de it will veer wildly. I guess as we're talking about Bitcoin, we should mention, and maybe you can explain that Elon Musk's Tesla bought one and a half billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. What? Why? And they say they're going to let you pay for your next Tesla in Bitcoin, which makes me want to find my wallet. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had to cash in on what happened to the market. The, the fact that they said that they were going to accept Bitcoin, it kicked up Bitcoin from running in the 36 to 47,000 range to the 30, uh, 46 to 47,000 wow. range. So, I mean, it was a major kick up. So them buying all that Bitcoin already earned them quite a bit of money. But also the fact. So wait a minute. Got, Did they time it so they bought the Bitcoin, then made the announcement? Well, I, I mean, I think they understood that once they started doing these block purchases of Bitcoin, the market was going to explode. It's we, an we it was an SEC very, very filing, Leo. They had to, they had to announce that they did it. Yeah, because yeah, they're a publicly held yeah. company. You can't spend right. a billion and a half on anything. <laughs> right, because their their cash on hand is I can't remember what it was. Let's call it ten million dollars. So whatever ten billion dollars. So whatever it was, that was a meaningful amount of their yeah. cash on hand. They had to report that. Yeah, he also yeah. Uh, for reasons we don't fully understand has been tweeting like crazy about your Dogecoin there. He has that. I think is just him being a troll, <laughs> a good troll. It's a fantastic. It's good for troll. you. It's but, but I mean he did the same thing when uh, when the kids were going after GameStop. Uh, we're going after the, the the hedge fund managers. So I think this is the malicious side of Elon coming out and saying, sure, I, with a tweet, I can I can create yeah, he just billions of dollars of value a in a meme quote, yeah. currency. Because that's what Dogecoin is, right? It was a joke. Oh, yeah. Although is the is the math the, the, for it legit? I mean, it's it's a legit blockchain, right? 
It is a actually it's a far more legit blockchain than some of the altcoins that are currently running. But when it was created, it was created because a bunch of people said, look, it's too hard to mine Bitcoin. This was five years ago, right. or so four or five years ago, whatever it, might, it was. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't make anything on it unless you had a specialized rig. So it was created for and by people like me who wanted to do something fun. We used it on Twit to teach people yeah. how the blockchain worked. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the difference was, whereas there was a super limited number of Bitcoin, there was an almost infinite number of Dogecoin that you could mine. Uh, and we never expected it to be worth anything. It, it was it was purely bragging rights. Brian and I were running the miners on our systems just so we could compete with each other of who had more Dogecoin. And now, I mean, I think Brian's stash, he just cashed it in and made like $20,000. Holy cow. Yes, yeah, so when Steve Gibson did his uh, Security Now on Bitcoin, which was something like episode 287, I mean, it was, you know... Probably when it, yeah, episode 287, he explained uh, how cryptocurrency worked and he just as for fun had set up a Bitcoin miner and the next morning it plopped out 50 Bitcoin. <laughs> this is back when, you know, no one was doing it, right? So it, the whole idea of these currencies is it gets harder and harder to mine until right. you mine a maximum amount and then you've got all the coin you're going to create uh, so that there is, so that it, if you keep creating it, it's inflationary. So you want to have a static amount, but you don't want to dump it on the market all at once. So it's all, you know, part of the theory Satoshi Nakamoto published in his original Bitcoin paper. So he was able to mine it very easily initially. It's now, of course, very costly to mine. It takes a lot of uh, the, the math problems are harder and harder and harder. Uh, right. he, he erased the hard drive with the wallet on it. So He's yeah, at gone. this point. He's going. That's two point five million dollars. Uh, there are actually a a huge amount of Bitcoin that are no longer viable. They're dark. They're forever lost. Yeah. And remember, there's there's only a maximum of twenty one million Bitcoin that will ever be mined ever. Now you can do fractions of that. Compare that to Dogecoin. Dogecoin has one hundred billion Dogecoin. <laughs> And th so that's why yeah. uh, Elon Musk, Snoop Dogg, and Gene Simmons are tweeting about it. <laughs> exactly. Why not? Why not? <laughs> why not? Uh, does uh, the thing is we you know whenever there's a story, this is a story from CNBC of all people on Dogecoin. They show an image of the coin as if there is such a thing. There's no coin, but if there were, it would have the Doge on. <laughs> it would have that very cute little. Uh, what is that? Is that a corgi? It's a Shiba Inu. Oh, a Shiba reason, Inu. Okay. The reason that I know that is, and I know the exact timing because it was it was February. It was as cold as it is right now. It was 2014. So Dogecoin had just come out, and I went to some sort of crypto party down on Wall Street. They had rented out uh, a, a thing at the end of, of Wall Street, and people brought those dogs, and people at the end of the night, they all um, uh, put a Shiba, uh, whatever that dog's head is, the Doge head on the bull, mm -hmm. the running bull behind Wall Street. And I reached out to some of those people that I met that night because it was like um, Dogecoin was all the rage. And like a lot of them had sold out and stuff. It was it was 50-50, I'd say, to the people I reached out to. They're like, yeah, I, I sold out of that a long time ago. And one guy was like, I sold out of that a month ago when it reached, you know, a quarter of a penny or something. And it, and it surged all the way to a quarter of a penny. Uh, and then half of them were like, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do now, but maybe I'll cash out now. It's almost six cents. It was its peak. And now it's back down to about a nickel. Put it, put it this way, Leo. Um, when I was still at Twit and I stopped mining, yeah. the entirety of all of my wallets together, which was one to two million range, 
uh, was worth about a dollar forty. If if I had actually had it and been able to cash it out at the top, it would have been worth somewhere in the vicinity of one hundred forty thousand. Holy moly! So, is this all just a pyramid scheme and a scam, or is this legit? No, it's not legit. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not I, talking I, about I, Dogecoin. I'm just cryptocurrency in general. I know if you say uh, it's not the next big thing, you're going to get flamed like crazy by oh the gosh, yes. by the Bitcoin bros. And there are people who've made a ton of money. I'm going to tell you somebody who's a Bitcoin billionaire in a second. But it's a fiat currency tied to nothing, right? Okay, and if you say that, all of the Bitcoin stands are going to point out the fact that uh, the dollar is a fiat currency. It's a fiat currency That's tied to the full faith and credit of the United States government. Slightly precisely, different. Precisely. It's slightly different. But here's, here's what I always say. It's not a scam in the sense that you actually can make a lot of money. If you, yeah, if that's you watch legit. the market. If you convert if you it into actual market, money, dollars, yes. you can do yes, something. You actually it. can. Yeah. Here's the problem. It's a financial instrument. It's like investing in a, in a, jock, uh, a junk bond right. um, where you can get a lot of money and you can lose a, a lot of money. Or a penny stock. Yeah, it, yeah, is, yeah. it is great as a financial instrument. It is right. terrible as a currency. You don't want your currency to fluctuate uh, that That's much. a very good point. There's an, a lot of problems with, at least with Bitcoin, uh, of course, subsequent uh, cryptocurrencies have attempted to solve them. One is the speed of transactions as the, as the blockchain gets bigger and bigger has really become slow. You could pay more to get the transaction happen faster, to get the miners to, to process it faster. But that's, that's problematic. And then the volatility of the actual value is very problematic because if I buy a pizza for 50 Bitcoin and it turns out later that that was worth... Two and a half million dollars. I'm going to be unhappy about that. So those are real issues with a currency. Not so much with. I see what you're saying, though. Not so much with a financial instrument. That might well happen if you had a a share of that U.S. steel stock on Brian's wall. Uh, that that fluctuates. I actually had a very long uh, discussion on Twig a couple of weeks ago, which we actually cut out of the uh, shipping version because it really was fruitless. In which I made the point that. A stock isn't so very different. And, you know, people in their mind tie the value of a stock to the fundamentals of the company. But it isn't really tied to it. No. It's only Perception. tied to it because people say it's tied to it. Right. You can't say, oh, uh, you can't. Or maybe you can. Tell me. Anybody who knows this. Maybe, Wesley, you know this. Can I take those shares of if they weren't canceled of U.S. Steel and go to U.S. Steel and say, I want to cash this in? I don't know the answer to that question. I Does anybody it. know? Um, yeah, but Leo, okay, if you're going all the way with uh, history hat on, <laughs> if you're going all the way back to like the, the East India Company and stuff like that, when when corporations were first formed, the idea was is you had a claim yes. on those future you're, cash flows. You're and buying so you, a share of the company, and the so you share in, in the, the profit. Modern, the, right. The sh thing that's divorced in modern stocks is that most companies don't pay dividends. And even the best ones, your Verizons or whatever, pay like, you know, 3% or 35 So you're not sharing in the success of the company. Right. And a lot so, of, historically, tech stocks, it's changing a little bit now, but Google doesn't pay dividends. Uh, Apple, for years, didn't. Now they do. But so, like the British East India Company, you would, you would get a dividend of 30% of whatever their net was every year. 
right? So that's a meaningful. Yeah, like, now that means you really company. have a percentage of the company, and and yeah. I, and I somehow at some point stock market got the stocks got div- kind of separated from the meaning of that, and when it's first issued, the cash you pay for it ultimately goes to the company, but at that point it just floats along, <laughs> depending on the whim of the market somewhat divorced from the performance of the company, I, right? I mean, there's nothing actually tying it to the performance of the company. There's dividends. That's about it. Anyway. Right. And, and even in that case, I mean, because there's common stock and there's preferred stock. And common right. stock is what we used to think stocks were, where you're right. buying a share of the company, therefore you have a voice. That's a common stock. Preferred stock is you can get paid a dividend, but you've got no vote. Yeah, look at so, Facebook. doesn't matter right. how much stock they issue, Mark Zuckerberg will always have the lion's share and always have control of the company, period. They've right. been very smart that way. So anyway, that's the only point I'm making is <laughs> a lot of what we do today in modern finance is fiat, <laughs> is faith-based, is, yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to invest in this because I think it's going to go up. And so it's really silly to criticize Bitcoin for not being tied to anything when Frankly, a lot of stuff is not tied to anything either. I mean, but the truth is that the environments right now is like casinos are closed. A lot of gambling establishments are closed. The interest rate is really, really low. It's not expected to increase anytime soon. People are looking for ways uh, to shuffle their money in places to try to get the the strong ups of they that are. they would get yes. with other riskier investments like yes. bets. Uh, and so it, it's not surprising that a lot of people are putting stuff in things that we wouldn't in other times do. Have you heard of Rally and Rally's able – you're able to issue your own coin and say, <laughs> hey, I want to thank people who love me. So I'm going to issue I'd like to issue Rally – some Wesley Leo coin. coin or yeah, Wesley coin. Wow. Have you heard of the the hotness that is non fungible tokens right now? And you can invest in, say, a digital video of an NBA highlight. And if it's the right one, they've been selling <laughs> for thirty thousand dollars right now. Well, it's like it's, well, remember the Crypto Kitties. The, right. The, well, it's the same. It's the same people. Crypto Kitties um, uh, started that, and then whatever whoever is the company behind Crypto Kitties, they have a partnership with the NBA. Uh, non fungible tokens and Art on the blockchain and things like collectibles on the blockchain is absolutely exploding right now. But specifically, whatever the company behind CryptoKitties is, they have a partnership with the NBA that that stuff has been uh, exploding a lot recently. And all they do is you can own a digital video of an NBA highlight uh, replay. And then if it gets played, do you get money? No, you essentially <laughs> own it. You're the only one that owns that representation of the video. Just like owning an imaginary cat. Well, owning a baseball card. Right. At least with a baseball card, you have a card. But no, that you know what? There's a long history of this, isn't it? And uh, I, I, Yes, but no. Like here, for example, take XRP, yeah. Ripple. It's one of the Ripple. cryptocurrencies. Yep. When uh, I, okay, I... <laughs> One of my hobbies during the pandemic has been to invest in some cryptocurrencies. Uh, and I took some of the money that I, I got. Are you allowed on, to do that? As long as it stays inside the cryptocurrency account, it's not as real money. As soon as it so. turned into lira or, or dollars or euro or whatever, you, then you'd have to tithe it. Do you tithe 100%? Exactly. When, uh, everything. I don't have anything. You're not so allowed it, to own it anything. It doesn't belong to but, me. The moment it becomes okay. money. By the way, I would take it as tacit proof 
from the church that, that this stuff is worthless. <laughs> it's literally worthless because priests can have as much as they want. Do whatever you want because it's worthless. So I started with 200 that I turned from Doge into something that I could actually invest. Currently sitting in this account is 11,531. Something. So I keep going back, back and forth. No, so I go back and forth between a cryptocurrency and then it's dollars, but it's not actually money yet. Are you doing arbitrage? No, 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 no. It's all within a brokerage account, okay. uh, a, uh, a Bitcoin, a cryptocurrency brokerage account. But XRP, when I bought it, was running at about 10 cents. Uh, and then it got under a SEC investigation for running a unregistered security. Now, that should have killed it. That should have killed any stock, any actual financial transaction tool. Yeah. It is now running at 60 cents. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's the market. I mean, it doesn't it's, matter where you invest right now. As long as you hold on to it long enough, right now you're going to make money. It's irrational exuberance. Yeah. <clears throat> and I would submit it is, is one of the many things really wrong with society today. There is something. I, but maybe I'm just, am I old fashioned, Wesley? Or does this feel to you like, I don't know. What does this seem like to you? You obviously are not playing in this domain. Actually, uh, I just sold my uh, Son of a <laughs> When it got to 7.4 cents. Uh, you got 7.4 cents for your Dogecoin? Yeah, I actually well sent a message to Father Robert saying, hey, I'm now in the game. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I decided to sell. I bought it at, I think, 3.5 cents. And then so I nearly, so I, I, yeah. I more than doubled the money that I put in. Okay, I give up. All of you are crazy. <laughs> Can you imagine what happens, Wesley, in 10 years? Dogecoin is at $50,000. <laughs> Which sounds stupid, except I, I would have said the exact same thing when you told me that, 50, yeah. that Bitcoin was at $50,000. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part. That would mean that I think it would be like one of those uh, countries where the you have to bring like $70 million to buy a loaf of bread or something like that. Yeah. I think that Hyperinflation. Like what's yeah. you. The economy so yeah. far that it wouldn't even be recognized. Alex Lindsay brought me back from Zimbabwe a few years ago. I think five million Zimbabwe dollars. Oh, that's nothing. Which was nothing. You couldn't buy. Yeah. It was less than a nickel. Did but they, see, did they theory, release a trillion dollar bill? <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't theory, laugh or, because there's very real suffering and pain associated with oh, that. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Uh, you know, if that happened in the United States... I would I, all my retirement, everything that I plan to live on for the, the last you know few decades of my life would be zip, and uh, that would be devastating. But so. in theory, Leo, that's the argument for Bitcoin specifically, is it being a store of value that is a hedge against inflation, and so the ultimate, as you know, the Padre would probably tell you, the ultimate bull case for Bitcoin would be it replaces gold. If it had, if Bitcoin had a market cap equal to gold's market cap, then you'd have Bitcoin uh, one million. Right. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> uh, I this would probably behoove me at this point to say, if you are, do not take advice on on any financial advice don't, from this show ever. Don't 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 do it ever. Absolutely. Ever ever. Um. Uh, to me, and maybe I'm really, really, really old-fashioned. I mean, I didn't. I thought the gold standard was silly, or because there's no, the industrial value of gold is considerably below 
the dollar assigned to an ounce of gold, which is thousands of dollars. Yeah, but that's but what so I'm it's talking not tied about to is anything. The really. use of gold as a hedge against inflation. Yeah, but that's and all imaginary, right? Right, but all of money is imaginary. Leo, let's let's come on. Let's go back to the dorm right now. <laughs> no, it is all imaginary. I understand. It's yeah. all imaginary, and that uh, I think that people don't really want to think about that because it would scare the hell out of them if they did. Uh, all right, more evidence that uh, something's happening with Bitcoin. Jay Z and Jack Dorsey, which are two things you don't necessarily think of going <laughs> together, have invested five hundred Bitcoin, which is twenty what twenty five million dollars to make uh, to make it the currency of the internet. It's an endowment uh, called uh, B Trust, but the B is the Bitcoin B with little stuff. It's a blind, irrevocable trust. So neither Jay Z uh, nor uh, Jack Dorsey can can say what happens to it. They're going to hire three board members, and the mission of this new twenty five million dollar fund is to make the Bitcoin the internet's currency. Uh, this is going to be an issue because it's going uphill against many governments. Uh, although, I have to point out, and this was a story from a, a month or two ago, that uh, a number of governments have said we should have some sort of stable coin as, uh, that is a, a intergovernmental currency. Lira. <laughs> what, tell me what is, okay, okay, what's a stable coin? Anybody want to take that one? Okay, so you do not want your currency to be the volatile coin. The yes. volatile coin is fun and sometimes very profitable if you are investing. But you do not want an, an announcement from a company like Tesla to suddenly drive the price of your currency up by 25%. Or down. That, that should never The up's okay. It's the down I'm worried about, right? Precisely. And that's that's what so many of us are waiting for, because the you you buy on the dip and then you make profit. Well, we haven't really had a dip. We've been rising since November and it's getting scarier and scarier and scarier. We broke 20,000, then 30,000, then 40,000. Now we're breaking 50,000. That's that. And in any other system, that is a clear sign of madness and a crash that's coming. But you need a stable coin where you can pull the money out of the volatile coin so it can sit. When you think it's overheated, when you think there's about to be a dip, you need a place to be able to pull the money out so that you, you don't ride the, the, ride the coin down. This is the Wild West right now. Yes. yes? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and as is often the case with these kind of very volatile situations, some people can make a lot of money. Uh, but I worry about the others. That money doesn't come from nowhere. Uh, if I'm a billion dollars richer, it's because somebody bought a billion dollars of the Bitcoin. Correct. Is it a zero-sum game? No, because the value can just go on forever, right? Not just that, the environmental impact of Bitcoin yes. specifically well, is Well, that's huge. another, that's a big story. It sucks you. so much power. And I said Lira, but I meant Libra. Which I like Lira, Facebook. though. I thought Lira, <laughs> the Italians aren't using it. Might as well DM. use it, right? No, Libra coin. DM, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's supposed to be like a stable coin by Facebook, and that was uh, under scrutiny, and they pulled back. But it sounds like it might be their time to reemerge uh, because if everyone's getting into it, why can you now target Facebook? Uh, last month, the Office of the Comptroller of Currency, which is an 18th century title if I ever heard one, 
issued a letter saying federally charted banks could use stablecoin or any cryptocurrency with relatively stable prices for standard banking transactions like payment activities. And this is happening globally as well. National banks all over the world are doing this. Um, so that's what I mean by it's a, we're in uh, the Wild West because on the one hand, it's being embraced. The SEC is trying to figure out what to do with this. There are Bitcoin bros out there making a lot of money. And very few people are facing the very real environmental impact. This is a study from the University of Cambridge where they're comparing the number of terawatt hours, terawatt hours uh, that are used to create Bitcoin. Bitcoin is created uh, by solving hard math problems. And uh, that means you have to have a very powerful computer eating a lot of energy, generating a lot of heat. It's actually not too bad. The total electricity consumption uh, by Bitcoin is 20,000 terawatt hours. And that's only 0.56 of the total global uh, consumption. Although... <laughs> It, it puts Bitcoin kind of on a par with uh, Norway. <laughs> Norway, Finland, Ireland, Australia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 121 terawatt hours per year. That's more than the Netherlands or the UAE, but just a little less than Norway and Argentina. It's right in the, right in the middle there. A stat and there's I an saw, um, sorry, a stat sorry, I saw recently was that, um, that one tra transaction on the blockchain, on the Bitcoin blockchain, is the equivalent energy use of 32,000 or maybe it was 320,000 on the Visa network. So to Correct. do 32,000 transactions versus one transaction is Yikes. Right. Yikes. So it's not just mining. We're talking about transactional costs in power. Right. Visa, if you do a, a credit card transaction, it's going to cost about 0 0.01 kilowatt hours. You do something in the Ethereum blockchain, which is a, a bit more efficient and there's not as much running. It's about 37 kilowatt hours. Bitcoin is now breaking 200 kilowatt hours per transaction. So it's unsustainable. That's the other part of this, which is you can't have your currency use up more power than your industry. Right. That would, that would be a bad thing. So this Cambridge study, though, kind of came up with some things that made me feel a little bit uh, better anyway. For instance, uh, the amount of electricity consumed by always on but inactive home devices in a year is... Uh, could power Bitcoin for 1.8 years. So if you want to look at inefficiencies, turn off your freaking microwave computer and TV because they're just suck, they're vampiring uh, power. Uh, the amount of electricity consumed by Bitcoin in one year could power all the tea kettles in the United Kingdom for 27 years. That's just silly. That's a lot of tea. That's a lot of tea. That's just a, that's silly. Um, this is, I thought, was interesting, but it puts it in perspective. In fact, if you really want to look and really put it in perspective, this little yellow bar here is the total consumption of Bitcoin, ranked 31. The number one country, China, is using considerably more, uh, as is the United States. We, The United States uses 3,989 terawatt hours a year, almost 4,000 terawatt hours a year compared to the... 121 that uh, Bitcoin consumes. And yet, we're using it to do stuff. Bitcoin is just using it to solve math problems. And you get things like there's a there's an old mining town up in the Arctic Circle uh, with, in Russia that has become the new Bitcoin hub for them because... Wherever power is cheap. Yeah, wherever... Oh, cooling. 
Oh, that's cooling. It's the cool because cooling is so expensive to cool yeah. these rigs. The power. That's the problem is the way that they're getting the power because it's so remote is they're basically burning oil and coal. Oh, so they're great. burning really dirty power sources in the Arctic Circle in <sighs> order to mine Bitcoin. Hmm. That, that's not going to end well. Yeah. All right. I want to. Uh, so I, I want to take a break, but because we've spent half an hour talking about Bitcoin, I didn't plan on it. But there is certainly a lot to talk about. Uh, let's sum up. Uh, is this is this part of a? I, I feel like there's a huge economic risk. There's a huge bubble risk here that could bring the whole financial industry to its knees. This and other uh, issues with Bitcoin. Um, is that? What do you think? Is Bitcoin on its balance, or are cryptocurrencies on balance a positive or a negative? Father Robert. Negative. Negative. I, I may enjoy them. I like the technology behind them. It's fascinating. It's promising. It's fascinating. But, I mean, how do you not look at this and think immediately, oh, this is a tulip bubble? It this, feels this like is, tulip This is a tulip, tulip bubble. bubble beyond that, right? Yeah. This could crash the world economy. And that's the problem is it's not just that Bitcoin would crash. It's that the economy itself could suffer as a result. Wesley, despite the huge proceeds you've reaped from your Dogecoin arbitrage, <laughs> do you feel it's a positive or a negative? Honestly, I'm going to have to say it's pretty much inconsequential. Inconsequential. Personally, I think because of the people who have it, as just like the stock market, the stock market might go up and up, but the percentage of Americans yeah, or people who right. invest in the stock market is less than so half. minimal. Less than half of uh, Americans, I think yeah. in terms of if you look at the pool of money that's out there, it's inconsequential right. in the long run. That's a good point. Honestly, the problems in the United States have a lot more to do with uh, minimum wage, um, you know, the immense job loss thanks to the pandemic. Those things hit really hit home. Whether somebody's spending uh, a lot of money to generate Bitcoin in the Arctic Circle is probably a little less important. Yeah, it's it's just Wall Street speculation and people in the clergy that are in. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of priests. I, I, I'll go with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Brian McCullough. We got a we got a tie here. It's a, it's a, the end of the world. It's inconsequential. Uh, I say it's the end of the world. What do you say? Uh, net positive. Net positive. Good for <laughs> the you. The most interesting, one of the most interesting areas of tech and finance right now. And although we don't have time, and I have no interest in defending it, I will hedge by saying, not a single super valuable company has yet been created around this technology. Even crypto. There's kitties. been lots of interesting use cases, but yeah. no one. There's been a lot of speculation. People yeah. have made billions of dollars speculating, but no one has made a a meaningful, profitable, interesting company yet, and it's right. been around for more than a decade. Right. That. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. In fact, if anything, it's mostly things like crypto kitties and owning NBA. Here's a guy who's made a little money. Last story before we take the break. Uh, his uh, his handle is Joker's Stash, and he started a website for stolen credit cards uh, back in, uh, I think it was 2013. You could go on Joker's Stash, 2014, and go on Joker's Stash and buy a stolen credit card ranging in price from a dollar to $150 for a credit card that comes with the, not only the number, but the cardholder's name, address, and social security number. 
it was where two million cards belonging to the Buca de Beppo, the infamous Buca de Beppo breach, were st- were sold. Five million cards from Saks Fifth Avenue were sold. And, of course, the founder of Joker's Stash took a commission. Every transaction on Joker's Stash was in Bitcoin because uh, whether this is true or not, it's sort of true that Bitcoin is anonymous. I don't think it's as anonymous as cash, but uh, it's sort of anonymous. Since one of the ways you know it's not anonymous is because we know by looking at the wallet that uh, $400 million in Bitcoin has gone through Joker's Stash wallet since 20. 20- 15. In 2018, it peaked at $139 million a year. Sales have dropped over the last couple of years. That's the good news due to better security around credit cards, anti-fraud technology, people being more careful. Joker's stash announced he's retiring. He notified customers in October he'd been hospitalized or she'd been hospitalized with the coronavirus. In December, Interpol and the FBI seized the domains used by the site. That didn't matter because they were able to keep going through onion dot onion sites um but he's decided to retire the estimate and this is from elliptic.co a, a cryptocurrency uh, site is that <laughs> joker's stash based on their commission about 20 percent on sales less than apple takes i might add is sixty thousand bitcoin he's retiring with a nest egg of 2.5 billion dollars i'd retire too that's nothing. I've got two million Dogecoin. <laughs> Darknet crypto king Joker's stash. This is actually not the. F- I was going through um, other retirements from ransomware and so forth. A number uh, last year of hackers uh, or sites decided to call it a day. Um, ransomware as a service sites. A couple of them. Um, maybe I don't know if because it's less lucrative or they've made so much money that it's t- it's time to take a break. <laughs> anyway, we will take a break. That is our Bitcoin segment for the day. Please, no emails, no emails. Uh, our show today brought to you by a great. And uh, by the way, I should thank you again, all of you, for being here. Brian McCullough, Tech Meme Ride Home, the best daily news podcast on the tech. Uh, industry, you can find it at techmeme.com, the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Great to have you. Wesley Faulkner, who is always one of our favorites from Austin, Texas. How's the weather in Austin? Horrible. It is cold. I think. <laughs> What's cold Monday, in Austin? The high, I think the high is two on Monday. Two? Oh, yes. that's pretty cold. I didn't think it got yeah, that so cold. It's right now, it says it's 22 degrees. Yikes. Uh, I think it, the, 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 I think it was like the 20s. The last, the 1920s was the last time it's been yeah. this cold. Wow. It's it's historic. Uh, it's I was out there earlier. The, there's ice everywhere because it's just rain hits the ground, freezes. It's an ice rink out there. It's and you guys nice. are not prepared for this kind of. No, no, people are losing their minds. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry. I w- I was talking to a weatherman from Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, this morning, and he said it got down to something like 30 below zero <laughs> last night. So that's cold, but, you know, it depends what you're used to. In Nebraska, they're kind of used to it. Father Robert Balasair, how are the eggs this morning in the Vatican? Uh, we don't get eggs on a regular basis, oh. only at night. I, it's, <laughs> I don't of course, breakfast I don't, I for dinner, up. it's what the Vatican's famous for. We had pinza yesterday, which is kind of like flatbread pizza 
Oh. This was okay, I guess. Yeah. They don't give you actual pizza there in Italy. No, no. no. You have to go out I, to although get that. Napoli, Napoli has great pizza. I love. Anytime oh, I'm in I'm in Napoli, that's I all right. love the pizza in southern Italy, but I've had uh I had pizza in Napoli a couple of years ago. We had to do it. Lisa and I were there. We said, I said we have to go have pizza. It's where it's famous. There you go. Yep. It's great to have all three of you. Thank you for joining me uh, this week on Valentine's Day. Our show today brought to you by Podium. Do you know Podium? This is, I talked to them uh, a couple of weeks ago about Podium. It is a way, nowadays, this is going to be hard to describe what they do, but I'm telling you, if you're a small business, if you're a local retailer, you really want to know about Podium. We have a little bagel shop. Uh, It's fantastic bagels down the road. They could use Podium to create messages to their customers, either through their website or through text messaging, that would allow them to do so much. Get reviews, chat with the customers, take Podium payments, video chat, the Podium inbox. And all of this is not coming from some faceless corporation. It's coming from your business. It's a way for you to talk with your customers easily, effectively, to build loyalty, to build your business. And nowadays, in quarantine, this is an incredible way to operate contact-free, encourage people to shop local, communicate with customers and teammates while working from home. Small businesses need to stay connected with their customers. I actually, I won't name the, the there's an ice cream shop in town that uses Podium, and I get coupons it's very effective in my text saying hey you could save 20 percent right now come on in you can ask for reviews you can send a text that makes it very easy for your customers to leave an online review this is a huge tool for small businesses for local businesses improving their search rankings here's something you should know 98 percent of all text messages get opened there is no other way you could communicate with people that with a higher Response rate. Phone calls, nobody answers the phone anymore. Even email, no more than 20%. Text messages get opened. They work. They're welcome. You could put it on your website, Podium Web Chat. Let's website visitors text with your team right from your homepage. Your team will love it because they don't have to be sitting anywhere to get those texts. It actually comes to their phone. So no matter where they are, they can interact with customers. If you're like me, as many small businesses, you know, owner-operator, this is, this is gold. These are the customers you most want to keep. Podium Video Chat lets you meet with customers. Podium supports payments, so you can be paid fast over text. So if I can pay that for that bagel, go in and get it, uh, get my dozen bagels uh, all in one text message, that's awesome. Podium is quick to set up. You can be onboarded within a day. They've got a great team in place. I was, like I said, talking to them, wonderful people. They can answer any questions, walk you through everything. Let me give you some examples from uh, some local businesses that have benefited. Uh, The Bridal Collection. Uh, Lynn, who's the owner of the Bridal Collection, we don't have to take credit cards in the store anymore. We could do it completely remotely. They've processed over $200,000 in no-contact payments. Podium, she says, has been a godsend for us in this journey. America's Car Mart collected 21,000 leads through web chat. Before Podium, says TJ, who's in charge of digital experience at America's Car Mart, before Podium, we had a contact us form. It could be days before anybody got back to that customer. 
Now, thanks to Podium and this text messaging, our response time has been cut down to minutes. Great for a medical uh, office. You know, remind your customers they've got appointments. They can make appointments through the text messaging. And then you're going to get reviews. South Tampa Family and Cosmetic Dentistry. Perfect example. You know, as, as the customer walks out the door, hey, I hope you had a great experience. Would you mind leaving us a review here? And they walk you through the review. It's very quick. That's how they got 1,200 reviews, averaging 4.9 star, stars. Dr. Wyatt, the dentist there, uh, said the number of walk-ins as a result of our reviews has skyrocketed. Before, we were seeing 50 to 100 new patients a month. Now we're seeing closer to 200. This really works. The problem is it does so many things, it's hard to explain. I want you to go to podium.com slash twit. Take a look. You can get up and running. Find out how Podium can help your business reach more customers. You'll be using it tomorrow. Let's put it that way. Get started free today at podium.com slash twit. It's very affordable and it will transform your business, especially now. Podium, P-O-D-I-U-M dot com slash twit. Why not use the medium that gets the most response, gets opened the fastest, 98% open rate text messaging. Do it with Podium, podium.com slash twit. Thank you, Podium for entrusting us with your message. We really appreciate it. And thank you, Twit listeners, for uh, supporting the show by going to that website. Use that address, podium.com slash twit. Did you see the information article? Facebook is going to make a smartwatch next year. (laughs) Uh, There's, you know, there's this battle going on, and I don't know how serious it is, but I really do feel like there's a battle between Facebook and Apple. Facebook's taken out full page ads and major newspapers saying apple's no they're, they're smart they're not saying apple's trying to screw us with their app tracking technology but they're saying uh, apple's trying to screw small business and us with att and i think that this is almost like remember the old days with steve jobs going after google or adobe this is almost like that with mark zuckerberg saying oh, gonna... so facebook according to the information and four people with knowledge of the product is planning to do a smartwatch. I'm not wearing a Facebook smartwatch. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a recipe for uh, incredible um, spying. Um, but they they see this as a way to kind of. Uh, I think they want to end around. Frankly, they want to end around Apple. It would use a Google, an open source version of Google's Android software which makes it very easy for them to develop. Um, I don't know if it would be as expensive as an Apple smartwatch or even as a Fitbit. I imagine Facebook would subsidize it. The, um, the, this continues to always be the same thing also with Amazon is the we're all paying for the fact that they, they were never able to make a phone, right? Yeah. They're trying to find all the orthogonal ways to, to get that information. Well, or uh, to be a little, I don't know, whatever, towards them, um, to have security, to have a platform, you know, it's it's platform and security right at this very moment. Yeah, they can't take that away from me. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. I I see two parts here. The first part is Facebook wants something to leverage against Apple because they, they see the coming battle with Apple. Right now it's little shots across the bow, but eventually those two giants are going to go at each other because they both want the same thing. Apple really wants 
a view into customer habits that Facebook wants, and Facebook wants the screens that Apple has. So that that's one side. I'm not too concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is the other part, which is in many parts of the world, maybe not the United States, but definitely in Asia, definitely in Africa and, and parts of Europe, Facebook is the Internet. There, there, there's no Internet that has Facebook. It's They get the Internet yeah. through Facebook. That was their uh, Internet uh, uh, yeah. plan, wasn't it? Uh, India turned it down. They said we don't need more colonialism. Uh, but but you're uh, saying that uh, it's but, already launched in other other places in Africa. Well, it, it's not the service. I mean, you might get your service, your your connection connection to the internet from someplace else. But people think of the internet in terms of where is it on Facebook. Uh, I I have I mean part of my job is to reach these people, and I have to be reminded constantly because I am so anti Facebook. Yeah. I hate using the platform. Uh, and then I have my advisors who come in and say, "You don't understand. If it's not on it, Facebook, it is the platform. You, you right. You won't get them. It period. is the it is the internet. This is the internet dot org by Facebook, <laughs> which is <Right>. terrifying <laughs> to me. Uh, it's brilliant. I mean, if you're Facebook, um, there are lots of places in the world where you can't get the internet, or it's so expensive you can't afford the internet that they basically offer. Free and I'm going to put internet in air quotes here because, as you said, Robert, there's some stuff like Wikipedia, but really it's Facebook. It's a way to get Facebook uh, onto these uh, smartphones all over the world. Um, what's let me just I'm just out of curious. I see they have their mission statement. Uh, the internet is essential to growing the knowledge we have and sharing it with others. And for many of us, it's a huge part of everyday lives. Most of the world does not have access to the Internet. Internet.org is a Facebook-led initiative with the goal of bringing Internet access and the benefits of connectivity to the portion of the world that doesn't have them. See, that seems all well and good. Uh, India said no because uh, they said, you know, uh, we have plenty of experience with colonialism. Thanks. We've shaken off the yoke of our British overlords. We're not about to accept Mark Zuckerberg as our, as our new overlord. Um, interesting. This is the Wall Street Journal article, which I think is a little manufactured. Facebook meets Apple in a clash of the tech titans. We need to inflict pain. It's got a picture of Tim <laughs> Cook with a smoking pointing finger emoji shooting at Mark Zuckerberg with a smoking like emoji or th thumbs up emoji. or Maybe that's the poke emoji. I don't know. Uh, they quote a – first of all, I don't think it's Mark Zuckerberg versus Tim Cook. That makes for good copy in a newspaper, but I don't think it's that personal. No. Uh, and they and they also this, – this quote they use uh, from Mark Zuckerberg, we need to inflict pain, something he told his team, but it comes from 2018. It's not breaking news yeah. here. Yeah, that's clickbait. It seems to me, uh, I, although it's – It seems like this is more towards Google than Apple. Um, getting into space when you think about the Fitbit acquisition and how Google has pledged that they will not sell that data for advertising. I'm guessing Facebook will not have such a restriction. So being able to tap into people's health information for advertising right. is something that's extremely uh, uh, advantageous for them because you won't get that with Apple. You won't get that with Google. So Facebook can fill in the gap for people, advertisers looking to put money around health. And you're absolutely right. The competition for Facebook is not Apple. Apple may be throwing speed bumps at Facebook, but that's not the competition. It's Google. 
the the yep. the two if you combine Apple and Google, they dominate ninety percent of all online advertising. Right, but that's that's what I, that gets back to what I was saying about the we're paying for the fact that we never bought a Facebook phone when they tried to launch one. Like if you know you know Google always has their their moonshots because they're like we know we're a one trick pony of this advertising game. We we need something else, right? If you think about Facebook's thing. Remember, Steve Jobs famously said he's he doesn't like working through orifices, which he meant the the telecom companies. <laughs> like Facebook has had to go through two orifices this entire time, which is <laughs> Apple and Google. And so, when you see Facebook investing two billion dollars to buy Oculus because VR or Control Labs, they I think they spent a billion dollars on that, and that's a, a brain computer interface thing. Zuckerberg wants he he. He's tired of going through these orifices. He wants his own platform. Now, you could say Facebook is a platform, except for the fact that he has to go through Apple. He has to go through iOS and Android to get to you, right? So that's always what they're thinking. His moonshot is like, I need the next, whatever the next computing platform is, I need to own that. Yeah. That's why he owns, uh, as you said, the Quest, uh, the Oculus Quest. Uh, you have to have a Facebook. This is one of the reasons I don't own an Oculus Quest because you have to have a Facebook account to use it. So everything you do on that device is immediately piped into Facebook. It's interesting because I think people are becoming more aware of this, and this is probably where Facebook's really worried about Apple. Once Apple started showing the privacy information about WhatsApp, we know millions of people left WhatsApp and went to Signal and uh, Telegram. I mean, a huge number. You know how many times I've had to explain here to priests and bishops and cardinals why they should care about that. Uh, it, it always comes down to, well, but everyone I know is on WhatsApp. Right. And even even when we've sat down and have great conversations about, well, this is what it means. These are the privacy concerns. It's not just about you. It's about the people you're connected to. You're, you're, you're potentially becoming a security risk for them. Even then... They say, okay, well, I'll download Signal, but I'm still going to use WhatsApp. Yeah, because that's it's it is so. That's sticky. where everybody I want to talk to is. You know what Facebook has done uh, amazingly? They have rebuilt the old AOL walled garden, except yeah. they've done it without walls. Yeah, they've created a a platform, a virtual platform, or just a combination of services that is so sticky, that is so addictive, that if once you're in it. You really have no reason to go out. Even if someone explains to you all the reasons why it's so bad, everything that you want is in there. That, that's why I say that for many in many places, Facebook is the internet. It, is, it doesn't matter what else you have. Everything they want is there. Wesley, do you use Facebook? Absolutely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> do, you use what, do you use WhatsApp? No, not it's so less much. used in the uh, U.S. because uh, we we historically just didn't adopt it the, the way. Do you use Facebook Messenger? Yes. Yeah. It's just because it's what it's. I'm not concerned as much about the security implement uh, reasons of not using it because I'm careful, as careful as I can be. And so there's also a little bit of safety in numbers. So right. if there's a compromise, there will be a big stink and hopefully uh, uh, it will be cleared up pretty quickly. But a lot of my friends and family who aren't as tech savvy are still on the platforms. And it's almost uh, a university, universal like connector 
if I need to talk to someone. I might not have their new number. Um, they may not be on Twitter. But you but know if you can reach them on there. Facebook. Yeah. I know I can go there yeah. to, to send them a message, which is – it's just really efficient. If there was a way to decouple kind of like a Windows phone, all of that <laughs> into an, uh, its own Rolodex, I, I wish that that was a thing that we could make portable. Uh, but right now – there's no good alternatives to, uni- to unify all the people that I know from various networks. And I really don't want to lose touch with all those people. What would you say, Wesley, to Congress, uh, the FTC, the federal government that's looking at ways to uh, to kind of rein in the big tech companies? And, and Facebook in particular is a big, long indictment of Facebook do you think that that's a good thing, that, that maybe that's the solution is to get uh, regulation? I've been thinking about this. And I think on balance, no. Because social networks, like I mentioned, if there was a, a data breach, it if people find out that there's enough public pressure to get people to change and to make movements to, to make those changes. And if, for instance, if there is a large company that is being regulated by the government and they're being handcuffed, then a smaller company will step into that place with who doesn't have those same restrictions until they get big. And then they fall into those regulations and then, they get capped at a certain amount of people and then another one will it'll just be a wave where we all have to keep switching over to different networks in order to find the one where everyone has migrated to i think the best thing that the government can do and this is an extremely unpopular opinion but to allow some sort of public option for some of these tech solutions i so Agree a hundred percent, but I have a su- suggestion and a possible solution. It's coming from Jack Dorsey. Uh, he's suggesting he's working on he's looking at ways to create a decentralized Twitter, and they call it Blue Sky. They've been doing hiring around this. Uh, there was an article in The Verge this week. Twitter's Jack Dorsey wants to build an app store for social media algorithms. Now, I'm reading a little bit into what Dorsey has said and what the plans are. But what if, and I, and this also comes from other people who have suggested what you need to do, what Facebook needs to do is open their APIs. But what if instead of a monolithic silo of information called Twitter, called YouTube, called Facebook... These were federated networks where there were many Facebooks and you could it wouldn't hurt your ability to talk to your family members or your friends because they would be connected through the federation. They could be in Facebook South or Facebook West or Facebook East or whatever you call it, Facebook Green, Facebook Blue. That's their Facebook with people, you know, with maybe communities of interest but you can federate so that you can communicate across these barriers and in effect eliminating the the walls that divide these the the question of course is well why would anybody why would facebook twitter or or google do this 
because they make their money by being the unique one and only place to go. In fact, Twitter has continually moved towards pushing people away from third-party apps towards websites. But I'm hopeful that maybe Dorsey sees this as a, as a way forward, especially given the threat of regulation uh, from the government. He says we could make money selling our unique algorithm. So there's a pool of information owned by a lot of people on a lot of sites. What what he wants to do is build an app store that is, and maybe other people have apps in there too, that says, here's Wesley's app for following the most interesting stories on the giant universe of Twitter information. This is where I'm going to gloat a little bit. The last time I was on Twitter. You suggested this. This was my, I, I called it the Tom Hanks algorithm or whatever nice guy algorithm that yes. you wanted. This is, this is my idea. And this is not the first time that I've made a prediction on Twitter and it's come true. <laughs> I talked about when the iPad came out, how that is going to be I gotta keep track of this platform <laughs> for the next, uh, the ARM-based Macs. And it came true. I'm just saying that. So you like this, this is, idea. This is a winning idea. You yes, invented it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Can I play devil's advocate? Okay. All right. So obviously I love that idea. I love the idea of a federation. I love the idea of companies doing something that's good for society. But unfortunately, it's nearly impossible to legislate telling a company you can make you less money. You can't do less. it. No, no. And that's you why I'm encouraged that, tw- that Twitter is saying we want to do it. But what's interesting is they're saying it, I think, in response to the heat they've gotten with Section 230 reform and big tech investigations. I don't think they would go willingly. But I'm, I'm going to quote from the Verge article. Dorsey sees decentralization as a way to, quote, address some of the problems around Section 230. Uh, Twitter's been working on this for a year. This is their, this is their actually, I agree, you can't force or you probably could force, but maybe it wouldn't be ideal to force a company to do something that's against their, you know, financial interest. But if, but if he thinks he can find a way to monetize, um, I think that, I think you solve a lot of the problems that we'd have. And you know what, if you want to be a Nazi, you can go and use Nazi Facebook. Um, and it, it takes the pressure off of Zuckerberg to find the Nazis. And if I don't want to see any of that stuff, I don't have to include them in my field, right? You know, we can't shut up Nazis. Is, we can't shut them up. We're seeing this as a tech problem. We're, we're seeing that big tech has a problem yeah. with That's what splitting Silicon up Valley their does. services. Yep, yep. It, it's, not, it's not a tech problem. This is a financial problem. The big tech giants are running by the financial rules. You have to show results every single right. quarter. The way that you do that is you make agreements with other networks in order to maximize the profits and the stickiness of your platform. So unless you change that and you change it so that I don't have to be looking over my shoulder every quarter because I need to show quarter over quarter growth, then no tech company is going to take this seriously. They'll, they'll pay it lip service. They'll probably give a couple of executives to sit on a board to talk about it. But then when it comes down to quarterly earnings, they're going to say, I can't open up my algorithms to you because, of course, that's what makes me special. And that's what so, Jack's saying, though, is we have special algorithms and we think they're of value. And if we if we offer them for sale, that's where we make our money. Because right now, Twitter doesn't charge anything. But what if Twitter charged five bucks a month to use that special secret sauce that Twitter has? And I got this amazing feed from the giant pool of information. 
Wouldn't they make I, money? Like I was saying, there needs to be a public option. There needs to be a U.S. public version. Way to put it, yeah. For us to store our data, yeah. If we like California's laws, we can choose to have it stored there. If we like Texas's laws, store it there. But have a government place that allows us not to participate in a Facebook, a Google, or whatever Twitter's way of communicating and storing information. If we want to say, just make sure that. Hey, this will not be used, and it's under the protection of the U.S. government, and and we can pay them to store this to do that as a public service. Especially if we're talking about like um, e-records uh, for health records, if we want to have that stored in a place that we don't want ever to have a question that it might be either compromised or used in a way that we didn't predict, we need some sort of we need Third, controls. But we, yeah. we need a, a, a if if government wants to regulate something, regulate that new entity that they create, saying we will regulate this and this is what will guarantee. Sad to say, will never happen. People don't trust government anymore. So right. I might be at this point, Mark Zuckerberg is more trusted than the U.S. But Congress. True, I'm not saying be the only option. I'm saying just provide one. Yeah. option. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. can still do whatever they want. Tech can still do whatever they want. Right. But if someone doesn't want to participate, there are no other options. This might be a good business for the post office to get into. Brian, do you think that t- t- Jack Dorsey is sincere in this, you know, this thing he's floating, this blue sky, this federated no, and, Twitter? And it's funny, Leo, you have pushed me tonight to be the one that stood up for crypto and Bitcoin, I know, which I, know. I don't I'm necessarily. Sorry. And now <laughs> I'm going sorry. to be the one that says this is 100% cynical <laughs> yeah. because – the irony is, is a lot of the, especially the social networking companies, but a lot of these big tech companies have made their billions and trillions of dollars by throwing fencing around the open web. Yep. And essentially what Jack is arguing and, and, and Zuckerberg has argued, he, Zuckerberg said to Congress, please regulate us. We don't want to make these decisions. If you hadn't created these walled gardens around the free and open internet, you wouldn't have these section 230 problems. So essentially what they're trying to craft is a cover your ass way out of this where as a perfect example is podcasting and there are people that have there have been articles recently about well how do you how do you deal with the the nazi podcasts that are out there and ha- well you can't because rss is a free and open protocol yeah now apple you might say apple you should not list certain right. podcasts in your directory that's fine uh, you know the but, only reason it's an issue is because people want to put up silos around it like spotify right. Because, so I'm being cynical because I'm saying that's all Jack's doing here is if they can create some sort of system where it's like, no, 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 this is a, we're going back to free and open protocols. And yes, we have our special sauce on ours over here, uh, you, but you can't yell at us for all the yeah. other Nazi stuff. It going lets on us over off the hook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I think you're right. You know what this is? <laughs> this is Twitter's version of Facebook diaspora. Yeah. This is this is saying, oh, look. We we tried to make something, but Facebook open, so didn't do diaspora. That was designed to compete against Facebook, right? Right, but they they released some of their information so that a competitor oh, could exist. Could do it, okay. And I mean, yeah, it gave it gave Facebook some some coverage. They could say, look, we we tried to encourage competition, and it didn't take. This will this will be the exact same thing. People should Jack really Dorsey remember the that the these companies thing. are so big and so profitable and so powerful at this point that a lot of what they propose which protects them but doesn't really hurt them, will ultimately only hurt any upstarts. 
It will only hurt anybody else who wants to get into the right. business. They are now so entrenched that it's not going to affect them. And so they can, it's easy for them to propose solutions that maybe hurt them a little bit. Well, and one more thing to point out, Leo, uh, not to be mean to Twitter here, but they're the worst run of these companies. That's right. Their revenues are infinitesimal well, compared that's, to a Facebook. But that's why I think they might do it because they don't have a successful right. monetization strategy. Right. So it doesn't. It's no skin off of Jack's nose. If you know, we could. We maybe he can make more money because yeah. he's not making as he's much. He's not money doing that Facebook. well anyway. Yeah. And, and right. So yeah, why not try this? Speaking of the public option, which and I love that phrase, Wesley. I gotta give you credit for that. Uh, you know that Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the World Wide Web, has actually proposed such a such a thing. It's not exactly a public option, but the idea that people should control their own data. That he's got a startup called Inrupt, I-N-R-U-P-T. And uh, the idea is to create a data silo that you, you control, you own, that's yours, that you then have. And, I, you know, maybe it is the U.S. Postal Service that runs the U.S. version of this. Um, actually, Tim's concept is called Solid. Uh, a technology for organizing data applications and identities on the web. And that's the key. I don't, you know, this is so blue sky and it's so hard for people to understand, but basically you create your own data pod and then you have apps that can access from data from your data pod, but have to get permission. And then it can be shared with uh, others, but only with your permission, you control which apps access your data. And yeah, maybe the postal service. Maybe I'll have instead of a postal box, I'll have a postal pod. But there's there's no guarantee this will be around forever. No. If this is somehow not financially viable, it'll die. And we see that with the other postal carriers like USPS. I'm oh, sorry, like UPS, UPS and yeah, FedEx yeah. and rural where it doesn't seem like it makes financial sense to have service there. Yeah, we so need it's, some sort of backing by a government right, entity right. that can guarantee that everyone has access right. to this. I agree. Let's take a little break. Wesley Faulkner's here. Father Robert Balasser. Brian McCullough. It's good to have all three of you. Our show today uh, brought to you by My Mattress. Uh, as a happy Casper customer. In fact, I just bought a Casper for my daughter celebrate her new apartment got her the whole kit i got her the frame the box spring they call it a foundation the mattress i got the sheets i got the pillows she's all set it was less than a thousand bucks to set her up completely she says and i quote this is the best mattress i've ever had dad thank you casper is fantastic here i am with my casper this is my new casper king size mattress look at that surprisingly compact box this is another reason that i think it's a great choice uh, for people starting out. It's easy to get upstairs. It's easy to move yourself. Best part is you get 100 nights to try it. And if at any point in your first 100 nights, you're not exactly happy, you're not thrilled with your Casper mattress, they'll come and you can they'll re refund every penny. They'll come and get it. You don't have to fit it back in that box. But let me tell you, they can do that because they're the best mattresses ever. Casper has cool, supportive mattresses, beautiful, super soft bedding, this is the year you should sleep better, rest harder, sleep smarter with Casper. There's only Casper mattresses are made with 86 supportive gel pods to align your spine, to eliminate aches and pains. It's the supportive comfort you need to wake up refreshed, ready to go all year long. Look, even Sammy the cat loves 
our Casper. She sleeps on it every night. Get the Wave Hybrid. That's perfect for people who have aches and pains and want a mattress with maximum support. But as with all Casper mattresses, it sleeps cool, and we know that's really important for a good night's sleep. For the most plush mattress, check out the Nova Hybrid for a plush feel that doesn't sacrifice support, or the most popular original mattress. That's what I gave Abby, the one for sleepers who want both support and cooling. And I must say, I will not go to bed with my without my original Casper pillow. King size. I love it. Made with a unique pillow and pillow design that's soft on the outside, supportive on the inside for all night comfort. Casper makes everything you need to refresh your whole bedroom this year from their super soft percale sheets to their all-season down duvets to their cozy, calming, weighted blanket. As sleep is so important, it really is to your state of mind, to your well-being, your your health. Don't don't sell yourself short. The good news is Casper's affordable. And as always, free shipping and free returns. No contact delivery. Make 2021 comfortable. Reset your rest by going to casper.com slash twit1. That's our special URL, casper.com slash twit1. Then use the offer code twit1. You'll get $100 off select mattresses. Code twit1. Twit in the number one for $100 off select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. See casper.com for more details. I love my Casper. You will love your Casper. Everybody in my family loves their Casper. I think Father Robert needs a Casper in his little cell there in Vatican City. Casper, yes. <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine. <laughs> Hay does not make the best mattresses. That's all I'm just saying. <laughs> Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash twit one. You're not a monk in a cell. You get to have a nice mattress. Casper dot com slash twit one. And don't forget the offer code twit one to save a hundred dollars. Um, back we go. I was just curious. Does the does that thirst trap of a Casper ad fly in the Vatican? Uh, I well look uh, the mattress I have w- was actually homemade. It's not a mat- <laughs> manu- mass manufactured mattress. It's like a sack that stuff has been. Do the nuns into, make so. those for you or? What? I have no idea who made them, but it's not good. It's really not good. But you can't complain, can you? You can't say, "Hey, can I have a better? Can I get a Casper? Could you?" Well. What you can do is you could wait for someone to die and then quickly run to their room and try <laughs> to take care of have. That's awful. <laughs> oh my gosh. <sighs> but you know what? You love your I'm gonna say this because I know it's true. You love your work. You love what you do. I do. Yeah. I do. And so it's not a sacrifice. This is something that that's this is your calling, and I think that that's a great thing. We know that. You know, I like I like to complain too, and it gives me something yeah, to complain fun. about. So it's a joke. It's we fun. have some fun. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Where else should we go? Apple is not going to do a deal with Hyundai. They are going to do a deal with Kia. They're not going to do a deal with Kia. Brian, you must have gone crazy covering this story over the last couple of weeks. What it is? is- <laughs> it, well, it's between that. There's. I'll tell you what's been happening these last couple of weeks is that. I keep calling it, you know, smoke around fires. And all of a sudden there was a lot of smoke around the the car. And then that got tamped down and they replaced it with smoke around the AR VR. AR glasses. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, so right now, the the state of play as of whatever time it is tonight, February 14th, there's more smoke around the AR VR thing. But my take on the the Hyundai thing is 
I mean, and I don't know Hyundai as a company, but like they're, it, it felt to me like they were slapped down by Apple for stuff getting out. That's what so I, I thought. Would, That's what I, I thought. I would not be shocked at all if maybe not this month, but sometime soon we see this deal announced. Yeah, so the first thing was Hyundai said, hey, we're talking to Apple. And then as soon as I saw that, chills went down my spine. I thought, oh, this is not going to end well. Because, you know, Apple doesn't want you to say in that. And true enough, three hours later, they said, forget we said that. We're many Apples, I'm sure, talking with everybody. <laughs> we don't. Duh, duh. And then a week or two later, Kia, which is a Hyundai subsidiary. And by the way, Hyundai has a very good EV platform. They've just announced uh, some really, you know, really nice design. That would be very nice for an Apple car. But Kia, which has a, a, a factory in Georgia, which is, uh, you know, whoever, if Apple's doing a car, whoever they work with has to have the ability to make 100,000 cars a year. That's the goal. Can I, let me give you three arguments in favor of this possibly going through. Apparently, um, they have a lot of capacity there. Um, so this would make sense because I, I read an article once where they're like, well, but Hyundai's this company that doesn't like to, you know, we're not going to manufacture cars for some other right. company, company. We're an insular, but at the same time, that's not what they're asking you to do. Apple's saying, Hey, you've got some spare capacity over here. Let's, let's do this. Number two. And I got to credit, uh, MG Siegler for this one, but it kind of sounds like the, when Apple made the deal with singular for the iPhone, which is they're not going to Tesla. They're not going to Mercedes. They're kind of going to somebody that maybe is a little hungry. Yeah. Um, and might be willing to be like, okay, it's your Apple car. We'll just, we'll just uh, manufacture it to your specs. We're fine with that because we're hungry. But then number three, what you just mentioned about their platform, what you got to understand about their, that, that EV platform is because with these electric vehicles, you don't have all of the moving parts, the drivetrain, all this stuff. What what these platforms, as you're calling them, are, are, are essentially the term for it is a skateboard. Yeah. So essentially, it's just the battery and the wheels and whatever. And then you're able to do anything you want on top of it. And you can go crazy. And that's one of the things I've I've done stories on this where – People are talking about how car design is going to go crazy because if you get on one of these platforms, if you're Apple who loves to design and Hyundai Kia has this skateboard platform that you can basically have carte blanche to do with it, whatever you want with, I can see that that would be very attractive to an Apple if they really are going to do a car. I agree. When I saw the Kia story, I said that makes complete sense. Uh, they've already got their plan to build 23 models on this single skateboard. It's got... Uh, a huge range. It's really got some nice features. 300 mile range, uh, 500 kilometers, which is about the same, on a single charge. Uh, fast charging. There's a, there's a lot of good. This is a very state of the art uh, uh, skateboard. It's perfect for Apple. Whether Apple's going to do a car or an AR glasses is unknown. I mean, it's also important to point out that Apple, like any company, uh, is developing a lot of different potential products doesn't mean they'll make it to market. Can I ask a question? Yeah. I, I mean, I I get why you'd want a car as a status symbol, but Apple is used to such high margins. Oh, it won't be a cheap products. car, Father Robert. <laughs> it's not going to be a cheap car, but I no. mean, you're not going to sell anywhere near the number of cars as you would iPads or watches. Well, what what's in it for them uh, other than other than the cachet of being able to say we're also a car company 
most car companies don't make a lot of money. No. It's a historically difficult business, isn't it? We had, to, I, we had to bail out the big three. Yes. I did a whole episode on this, and it, it makes sense if you look at it from this perspective. Yes, uh, car companies usually have around 3% margins in the best of times, and the best – run car company in the world, Toyota, has 6% margin. So that's nowhere. Nothing. That's nothing. Nothing. Right. However, if you're Apple and you're rounding $2.25 trillion or whatever it is in market cap, the only way that you can move the needle to Wall Street is other large number of things. They have currently the best business in the world, which is selling $1,000 pocket computers to people every couple of years. The previous best business in the world was selling people thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar vehicles every seven years, right? Every household in in the developed world. Um, the if I, I'm not going to get the 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 numbers exactly right, but the the thing that I did in that segment was I quoted from some analyst that said, um, you know, the transportation market. If you look at it as the global transportation market, is something like twenty trillion dollars or whatever. If all Apple does is come in at the top end even and get 2% of that, that's 10 times the size of the current iPhone business in terms of revenue. So it, what, what else can Apple do that would, that would you know, be 10 times the size of the current iPhone business? And also, I, I agree with you, and I would throw in another thing is, is to understand what Apple's business really is, because it isn't making computers. They even took computer out of the name. It isn't making pocket computers. It's not making health watches. I, I would submit, and I think Tim Cook has said things kind of along this lines, that Apple is an experience company. They're, they're there to use digital technology to provide experiences for their customers. And I think the real question to answer your your question, Robert, is is what is the future of personal ownership for automobiles? And honestly, uh, I don't think in ten or twenty years you're going to see personal ownership of automobiles. So, a self driving electric vehicle, if Apple were to make one, I don't think they're really going to be making one for you and me to buy. But they, but they might be making a, a business like Uber. Where, you know, you get in the Apple car, you, you call, you know, a call an Apple car, it comes and gets you. And inside, once you're inside, the experience is phenomenal. The music, the, the, the furniture, it's comfortable. It's got a little incense burner or whatever. I don't know what the experience is going to be. But that's, what, but that's what Apple would offer. So I think that it's probably, I don't, you, you know, you made a good argument, Brian, that maybe it is a good business to get into. But honestly, do you think in the next 10, 20 years, personal no. ownership of vehicles is a good business to get into? No, absolutely not. However, two counter arguments to that is, number one, what is Apple's current growth strategy? It's services. So if you have an all And that's what I mean. I would re Apple rephrase Prime. that to its yes. experiences, which is the same right. idea. Yeah. So if I'm paying an all-encompassing Apple subscription every month for my entertainment and my transportation uh -huh. and my computer uh -huh. in my pocket and yep. my X, Y, and Z, then yes, you have That's an entire all-encompassing uh, Apple lifestyle yeah. um, thing. But number two, and don't forget this, this comes back to the iPhone thing. What does Apple love to do? Go into a product category where there is deep 
consumer dissatisfaction. Again, analogy of when they entered the the phone market, right? Mm -hmm. They love to go in and provide an experience, a product experience that you and I can't even conceive of because we we're so we're so beaten down by the status quo. <laughs> it can never get any better than this and it sucks. Another thing is uh there's a story on the rundown about shortages in computer chips to make cars. Yeah. If you think about cars themselves, they are a platform for technology. You talk about the conversations about Oh, that's 5G, interesting. Talking about cars are using 5G for navigation. We're talking about computer vision. Uh, we're, we're talking about all these technology cutting of things that are going to be going into cars. So cars Wesley, are I'll, I'll, rolling I'll do computers. That. What are all these things converging? Apple's got LiDAR and iPhones. Apple's doing their own silicon now, their own chips. Um, they're doing these ARM-based chips that are good for things like um, you know, self-driving and algorithms and, and AI and all these things. You can see a scenario where everything Apple – and this would tie into the AR, VR headset. Like all of the, the work that they're doing on the car could potentially be, even if it never creates a car – money well spent in terms of R&D for all of the other things and vice versa, doing an AR headset and learning about LiDAR. And that's actually, and things like that. that's a good point. They don't need to make a car. The learnings from making the car might be sufficient to power other businesses. Right. You know, what of, one of Apple's core of beliefs. Intel's 5G IP. So. Right. One of, one of Apple's core beliefs has always been to own the, the core IP. Uh, they they did it with their computers. They did it with their phone. They've just had a massive shift over to their own processors. They they don't want to be beheld beholden to any other company for the core components and technologies that go into their products. When I start to see a massive stock up of human resources on the Apple side for the supply chain that's required to build a car, uh, that's when I'll actually start to believe the stories. Because well, you right know, now, there may I'm, I'm be seeing, happening. Interest, They've been hiring but, a lot of engineers. They may be happening under the covers. We may. Not I mean, know. engineers are one thing. No, but the 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 telltale for Apple are the people who do pr procurement, right? Because that's what's made their Supply margins chain. so incredible. Well, that's why Kia is, could be very interesting. Isn't that a big part of? Wouldn't that be a big supply chain deal? They would be the Foxconn for this. But, I mean, th that's relying on another company to do their, their well, recruitment. Foxconn, that's, that's not Apple style. Foxconn makes all the iPhones. That's 100% Apple style. <laughs> Apple Apple designs <laughs> the stuff. They don't and, – and, and Apple Apple tells you – They don't even no, make the chips. Gonna, right. We're, we're, you're going to pay uh, $0.04 cents for that doohickey than right. the $0.08 cents that you want. But they don't actually produce any of the doohickeys. All of those have been farmed out. Now they've got factories in India, Vietnam. If China, they're serious stuff. about cars, they're going to have a car company. And they will probably Make have it. multiple, yeah. multiple. Like, why would you just go with uh, Hyundai? In fact, maybe that's what we're seeing is that they're they're going to announce sometime this summer or something deals with everyone, including Volkswagen and, and whoever and whoever. Right. It's just that Hyundai was maybe a little they, they got to learn like Foxconn to keep your mouth shut until the deal is actually yeah. signed. I would. I, yes, I know they're denying it. Kia is now denying it. And we don't know if they're denying it because Tim Cook said, uh, if you don't deny it, you're not going to do the deal. So we'll wait and see. I think it's very interesting to watch. And and I just, you know, I was speculating out loud, but what if Apple got an Uber? What if Apple made an Uber where they made the whole thing, the cars, everything? And if they're self-driving, they don't have drivers. That'd be an interesting business. It feels like a few steps ahead. I know. They but that's, test you know. the market. They wait for adoption. Yeah. Then they then try they to do it. 
move over and to have a lot of consolidation of the Wesley, I want to ask you, because you are big on Clubhouse. I want to talk a little bit about Clubhouse and find out whether this is just a flash in the pan, another social network that as soon as the, everybody else arrives, it's going to go downhill, or if there is really some value there. Or, and, and maybe you don't have an opinion, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on you because I'm in there, too. Str- strong opinion. Go, oh, good. This, this, good. Don't audio, say it. Social save it. Networks. Save it. Save it. That's I'll a tease. After the break. He has a strong opinion. What could it be? We'll find out. <laughs> but first, we've got a little mini movie we want to play for you, uh, representing the events of the past week here on Twit. Worcester man swallows AirPod while sleeping and does not realize it. That headline is just so beautifully straightforward, especially the does not realize it part. The battery is probably going to die in a, in a week anyway. <laughs> Previously on Twit, all about Android. Xiaomi is flexing its latest concept. It's got an 88-degree quad-curved waterfall display. Ooh. It's got no physical buttons or ports. This is bananas. TLC taught me that it is important <laughs> that you don't go chasing waterfalls. True. This week in Enterprise Tech. It may sound like a plot of a new movie. Someone broke into the computer system of a water treatment plant and tried to poison drinking water for Florida Town. Rookie League mistake, right? There's probably reasons why they needed Team Viewer. But there are ways to do what they did in a secure fashion. Security Now. Following on the heels of this Chrome news, Windows Defender thinks Chrome is malware. Oh. Well, it kind of is. <laughs> yeah. I might not be completely wrong. This week in Google. John Wentzworth's making his own COVID-19 vaccine. Okay. All the materials and equipment to make the vaccine cost about $1,000. The largest and benefits... you've been wasting your time trying to I, make sound. I'm going to do... Yeah, I might do this. <laughs> no. I mean, well if said. you do it, just well also said. make sure you get the vaccine later. Twit. Still essential. What if I did this for the whole company, John? Would you all do it? That would be no. I think this would be a great story. Podcast company vaccinates its entire staff using homemade vaccine. I'm in. John says, I'm in. Uh, I think the vaccine is going to get a little bit easier to get. And my prediction is it's going to start ramping up. It's like a locomotive moving out of the station. It's starting very slow, but I think it's going to ramp up. What's the situation in Italy, Father Robert? Are you able to get the U.S.? Sorry? You have no idea how much better you are yeah. doing in the U.S. than we are over here. It's so much easier for you to get. I It will actually be easier for me to fly back to the States Probably. and get it there yeah. than to wait for it here. We just – they announced uh, that they bought another 400 million doses. So uh, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape in about six months. My prediction. I don't know. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, our show today brought to you by Melissa. Did you know – this is a depressing stat – you ever forget to check the date on a carton of milk and then you put it in your Cheerios and, oh, I'm not going to eat that? Like milk, <laughs> your customer data goes bad, about 30% of it every year. You wouldn't want to put that in your Cheerios, let me tell you. Melissa, make sure your data is accurate and current so you reach the right customers. They've been doing this for 35 years. Melissa does it all. Addresses, emails, phone numbers, names, and it can do it in real time. So they have a very nice API. So you could add, you don't have to use it, but you could add this with the API. You could add this to your customer service portal when or your website. So when customers are entering, you know, how often is it? You know, I do it all the time. I accidentally transpose numbers on my address, things like that. I don't get shipments. 
you want to correct all that stuff. And if you've ever been on a website where it gets corrected automatically, you're probably looking at Melissa. Melissa's global address verification service verifies addresses for 240 plus countries and territories right at the point of entry. So you only get valid billing and shipping addresses in your systems. But you can also use Melissa after the fact because they have secure FTP. So you can upload an address list and have it cleansed and downloaded in no time at all. They've got all sorts of ways, on-prem, in the cloud, software as a service. This is absolutely what you need to make sure you're reaching the right customers. You can even add customer demographic information to your records, public information like property and mortgage data, marital status, even social media handles. Really create a rich record of your customers so that, you know, you can serve them better. And don't worry, your data is always secure with Melissa. They constantly undergo independent security audits because they're absolutely committed to your data's security, privacy, and compliance requirements. They have the utmost dedication to your your security. They implement strong controls and safeguards. There's SOC2 compliant, HIPAA, GDPR compliant, so you never have to worry about that. That's why over 10,000 businesses trust Melissa, the address experts. They're also doing a nice thing. During COVID-19, they're supporting qualifying essential workers and communities with free service for six months. You can apply online, see if your organization qualifies. There's no reason to put up with sour customer contact data. Well, Melissa can clean it up on the way in. While you're storing it on the way out, they can do it all. Try Melissa's APIs in the developer portal right now. Very easy. You can log on, sign up, and start playing in the API sandbox any time of the day or night, 24-7. And they'll even clean 1,000 records for free. Send them your most spoiled data. See what they can do with it. Melissa.com slash twit. M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot com slash twit. There's the login. Welcome, Twit Army, to the developer portal. I think you're going to be impressed melissa.com slash twit. We thank Melissa so much for their support of This Week in Tech. We thank you for supporting This Week in Tech by using that address so they know you saw it here. melissa.com slash twit. So last week we were talking about Clubhouse. During the show, I said, you know, there's a lot of, it's really interesting, a lot of Chinese nationals on Clubhouse. Uh, There are a lot of expats on Clubhouse talking about the Chinese government. I said, it's just going to be a matter of time before the China shuts them down. During the show, they shut them down. I don't want to take any responsibility for this. I'm sure that they were planning to do it anyway. We've also learned that uh, there may be some issues with Clubhouse pinging China when you use Clubhouse. Clubhouse stepped up when that happened and said, immediately, we are doing everything we can to prevent any of our information getting to Chinese authorities. So don't worry about that. Whatever whatever company they use for their tech or whatever, I, actually, I should look it up, but I know that the stock ticker is Agora. API. Which one? It's Agora, yeah. Agora, right. And that's gone up like 100% over the last two weeks. But they're a Chinese company, right? Yeah, so that's... But I mean, well, that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, Clubhouse is... Well-funded. They're an Andreessen Horowitz uh, company. And, of course, they've been used by Andreessen Horowitz to promote other Andreessen Horowitz investments, including (laughs) Elon Musk has appeared there. Mark Zuckerberg has appeared there. Wesley Faulkner has appeared there. I've even appeared there. I I got an invite a few weeks ago from iJustine. 
I I think it's very cool, but but Wesley, I figure as soon as the it's not invite only, it's just going to go right downhill. What do you think? I think the whole space is blowing up. There was an announcement just last week, a company called Quilt, which is a self care focused audio social network. They got three point five million dollars. There is it for audio? Is it like a, yes, like audio Clubhouse? Only. Just wow. just like Clubhouse, just a Clubhouse offshoot. Facebook is supposedly uh, building their version of Clubhouse. Twitter has Spaces that they're developing. Twitter Spaces is coming out any day now, right? Yeah, it's, I've been it's on. A, I've been I on wouldn't be surprised already. if there's a LinkedIn Clubhouse equivalent by the type of people that are on the network. There's a lot of LinkedIners, uh, people who are thing. trying to like, yeah. Is is this the new uh, stories? Like everybody's going to have these. What? Audio. That's so weird because it's audio, which it seems to. Uh, so, what is the appeal, Wesley? Explain to me. Here's the appeal: if you are a loud talker, if you take up a lot of space in a room, why are you looking at me when you say you? that? Why do you look at me? Why? <laughs> As you interrupt me. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, if if you are able to to stand out by showcasing your work, it's almost if you think about the TikTok stars or the people who are really good at their craft, there's a medium to showcase that. And I think there's not an equivalent for audio. Ah. For video, you can do video effects. Audio, it's it, you're able to be a public speaker to the public. You Videos, can get a wider audience. Video is hard. You, to, to compete yes. against a Marquez Brownlee on YouTube, you've got to spend a lot of time and energy and, 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 and be really talented to do it. Whereas Clubhouse, you just talk. You talk and you are able to react and you're able to get questions from the audience. You, you're able to exercise power about who's a moderator. It, it's It's very powerful. It's one of those things like, you know, I'm a developer advocate for daily. Our API is used for WebRTC, which has the component of video and audio. People, we've been seeing a huge influx of people trying to build their own audio social network on our platform. Interesting. So I guess we, I should we have to scramble to like create these blog posts. I think we're coming out with one next week that, that details how to do that. But it's I feel that that's probably going across the board. People with like like I mentioned quilt before, there's a huge space just like what we're talking about where people were shoveling money into Bitcoin because they need to shovel money into a big bet that they think is going to explode. Audio is a big bet. It's going to blow up, not necessarily because people are clamoring for it. It's because people are trying to make it happen. So it, I hate this. it, it may not be big <laughs> because people want it, but it's going to be big because investors want it. I hate this. I've been doing audio for 45 years. <laughs> Leo, can I, I don't want anybody me, else to get in this business. Don't. Well, go ahead. But this is the good. This is the good point. Is that audio is hard too. Yeah. Doing a good podcast is hard too. Being in, being interesting to listen to is hard. Um, this this is not me humble bragging, but um, I've been on there since June, and it was I've gone through a period with it, right? Where back in June there were two thousand people on there, and we all knew each other, and so it was cool and fun and interesting. And then I forgot about it. So when it blew up again last month, I go on and it's all sorts of, you know, it's literally like LinkedIn or whatever. It's everybody trying to impress everybody else. It's everybody trying to, 
uh, I don't know, get jobs and, 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 and impress famous and rich people. However, so it, potentially what I'm waiting to see is, is it you, you let everyone in, it's not invite only, and is it just everyone trying to shout as loud as possible? However, my wife, who back in June when she would listen in when I was on there, dismissed it as there's – oh, there's just a bunch of tech people on there. This is not for me or whatever. She's an architect and now she leaves it on. There are multiple yeah. architect rooms every single day. Yeah. And she leaves it on in the background like it's talk radio that it's just sort of – and then maybe she pipes in if she you know is so moved or whatever. But um, I don't know. Like it's either going to be the thing like – my experience where, oh my God, it's kind of gross and I don't want to do this anymore. Or it's going to be like my wife's where it's like, I just find my, my niche and I'm happy. They're going to have to solve the discovery issue so that it's easy to find the stuff that you're interested in. Cause when you just go and explore, you see a lot of bro stuff and how to make a million and Bitcoin and stuff. Um, the truth is they don't have to fix anything. Like it's already, okay. There's competitors that are fixing these problems. Right. There are, People who are coming out with niche community communities just for one thing. Right. There are ones that are for protected people or people who get online harassment. There, there are going to be so many different ways that people are going to approach this problem. Uh, unfortunately, I think this is the time where you're first to market doesn't mean you're going to be the right. market dominator um, leader. Um, it, this is they're just going to expose all the problems that people are going to fix when they come out with their own competitor. So, so the issue, the, 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 what we, it's not about Clubhouse at all. It's about the medium. Yes. That's what you but like I, about it. Yes. One thing off, like I, I, unfortunately my coworker and I had a conversation. I'm, I'm not an iOS user. I do not use, um, oh, Apple devices. Well, this is iOS only have, right now. I have an iPad. Yeah. So I put it on my iPad and I am surprised that no one's complaining about the privacy that is required to run Clubhouse. You mm. want to send out an invite, you have to grant it access to your contacts. People mm. people are starting to complain, yes, or when, at least ask when, questions about that. Yeah, you want to subscribe to an event that's coming up, it needs access to your calendar. Oh, that's not good. It, it It's – it's I, I, I and Vanilla Ice was on it last week and I was like, oh. But now Clubhouse has Vanilla Ice's phone number because oh. someone had to send him an invite. Right. And now when he signed up for Clubhouse, he sent it to a friend of his, then they – then, then they now have every famous person Vanilla Ice is connected to. Elon Musk and so on might have better security, but someone who's not necessarily tech savvy, like I saw Gil King's on there. Um, all of these people that are probably in their Rolodex is now uploaded. Use a burner to clubhouse. Use a burner number. Yeah, I tried that. So, like I said, I'm signed up with my Google Voice number, and yeah. when I try to send an invite to someone who was the only person in my contacts because I have no one on my iPad, it said, hey, this is not a valid number wow. to send something out on. So it needed a real number in order to send out invites. I see a lot of celebrities. Adrian Grenier is on there right now. I see a lot of celebrities on here. That's not at all unusual. I've been in a room with Oprah. That was back in the summer again. But there's see, that's never, that, one of the part of the appeal is is just nor you just like in a room with Oprah, and they're just having a conversation. It's pretty amazing. Um, I have also learned it, now. I think that the opportunity is also great for creating giving people a voice who don't nor, normally have a voice. I've listened to a lot of interesting clubhouse conversations about china 
from expats and so forth. And I think learned a lot about the the kind of the mistaken uh, uh, idea I had about, for instance, the Chinese communist government versus the Chinese people, things like that. It was It's really great to hear the actual, actual voices of actual people. Um, Speaking of famous people, Mark Zuckerberg also yeah. was on Clubhouse. Yeah. And this goes back to my previous point that it, this will be copied. Someone will do it better. Yeah. And Maybe it's Mark. just going to die. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not Clubhouse, but you're saying that this medium has some staying power. You've got what do you have to solve, Wesley, in your opinion, to make this work? If somebody if Twitter's listening or Mark's listening, what would what should he, what should they do to make a, a perfect Clubhouse? The the, the moderation works well is that there's no signaling. You don't know once you join in. There's no signaling if there is someone that you want to talk to. Oh, okay. There's no signaling who you should trust and who you should support. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, schemes and sign up for my free course. Yeah. And I'll teach you to be a millionaire rooms on Clubhouse. The people who have speak with authority um, are able to amass a following. Right. And that is and the person with authority in terms of the way they speak may not um, be really true in terms of be, them being a really reputable person to follow. So that's it's, life. it's a lot of people <laughs> because it is a, a, a velvet rope network. People right. are assuming that uh, people have yeah. trust and reliability yeah. that they have not earned. So they need to work on that signaling of of each individual person and what they stand for. If they can solve for that of who you can trust or who you are aligned with, that it will be better. I wonder, I think we're thinking about this. Uh, if it wouldn't make more sense to do, you say, for instance, use discord, you use discord now, father Robert, uh, quite extensively. I do. And just create a community within discord. You have a community for your, uh, Minecraft server, for instance. Yep, I use Discord for the Minecraft server. I've used Discord for Padres Corner. I use Discord for uh, for uh, Black Hat and Defcon. It's perfect for so, a uh, podcast like Padres Corner. Can people talk exactly. back to you? And uh, do you use the audio only, or do you use video? They they have it all, right? I use audio and video, and yeah. that's how I can bring people into into the program. So, yeah, yeah I I. I use voice features. I use voice communities in Discord. It has nowhere near the sort of velvet rope feel of uh, of something like Clubhouse. And, and, and honestly, I understand the appeal of Clubhouse. Personally, it's it's not something I think I would ever want to do. It it, it sounds like too much work to reach people that I don't well, really care about. And the funny thing is, it's not hard. I mean, Wesley has a good point. The the creating a, a audio conversation like this is actually not hard given the right tools and it seems like the solution to your problem wesley would be for individual creators to create their own clubhouses it's easy enough to do a discord is a perfect example costs nothing to create your own i would not be surprised if there would be a clubhouse as a service where you say i would like to create my own clubhouse yeah and then now you have a closed door audio network that you can invite people to or well by the uh, way just like people do to this discord server the rumor is that the way that they're thinking of monetizing is maybe it's going to be Clubhouse that does that, where in the sort of the Patreon or the Substack model where it's like you can own a certain club and it's yours and you can charge subscriptions for it. You can sell tickets for one off live events. You can do whatever and just give us a cut. Like that's one of the rumors of how they might be thinking about 
Makes sense. Actually making this a business. Yeah. Makes sense. But they don't have the right tools for the, on the admin side for it to be worth it. You, you cannot control, you can, even if you can just have people there, there are a lot more tools you'll need in order to manage a group. Um, if you've ever run a community on Slack, you can understand all those bolt-ons that were done just to make that go. Uh, the same with any niche communities that have, might have different needs. It makes sense to either build your own or use a turnkey solution that allow you to do that rather than use Clubhouse, which is limited. Right now they're iOS. Uh, if you use – I mentioned WebRTC. But if you use something like that, you would be able to – on mobile, desktop and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. be more be able to reach more people rather than their limited release cycle. Um, there's there's a lot of things that they need to fix in terms of max room size. And there's a whole bunch of things that if they were going to do that, um, it, it, they would have to, a lot of pressure on the admin side to make sure the controls are there to be able to control that community. It feels like uh, Discord might have all those tools. Do you think, Robert? They do, but admining a Discord room is a nightmare. Uh, uh, it's it gets it because it's so granular. Because I give you such control over every little permission, it's difficult to get everyone where you want them to be. Uh, it, it's it's legendary when we're trying to do something like uh, like a DevCon uh, to to get the, the right people into the right rooms with the right permissions to be able to do what they're supposed to do. Um, but, but yeah, I, you could do it. You absolutely could do it. You just would need to have some, some very decent admins. I need to talk to you. Cause I, I think I really want to do something with discord. I feel like a twit clubhouse would be kind of cool, you know, given the personalities and the, and the minds we have yeah. on our show. It's text, it's audio, it's video. Yeah. It's, it's kind of what we do. What Mark Cuban is doing apparently. Sorry, Dan Benjamin. Mark's decided to call his podcast app fireside which is unfortunately what Dan Benjamin causes his podcast uh, uh, system. Uh, Hosts can talk to fans live and monetize their conversations. Wonder where you got that idea, Mark Cuban. Uh, So, yeah, so at least there's Facebook, Twitter, Mark Cuban. Uh, there, There are a lot of people basically coming right at Clubhouse over the next few months. It will be interesting. Um, let me take one more break because I want to bring up uh, a story that I think is going to be interesting. About, was it more than a year ago, Bloomberg published a story about a super micro hack, uh, a rice-sized chip that they claimed China was installing on super micro motherboards to spy on the U.S. military and others. Bloomberg has doubled down on the story. It's not gone. It's back, baby. We'll talk about that in just a little bit with Brian McCullough, the tech meme ride home, and internet historian. Good to have you. Wesley Faulkner, developer advocate at Daily.co at a WebRTC platform to enable companies to stream audio and video, right? Yeah, it's uh, we give you the components so you can do like a your own like a chat where like clubhouse or you can do um, a web conferencing you could make it a feature in your application like if you wanted to make a skype competitor or or, or a zoom competitor or a webex competitor you can do that too or you can uh you know when you're in slack and you can say oh well, let's move this over to a conversation you can embed that feature into your applications nice. so we we kind of let you use any part of the web rpc 
but put it behind an API so it's so we manage all of the network traffic to make sure that if you want to optimize for video or audio quality size mobile we allow you to do all that very cool if people uh messaged you at wesley 83 on twitter would you be able to help them get that going absolutely yes and <laughs> okay you can we you can reach me there you could reach me at via email if you wesley at daily.co you can email me directly if that's your preferred method I'm, to- i am my job is to help people and to talk to you nice so if you have if you want to talk to me i am 100 percent available everybody should want to talk to wesley i think it was stacy higginbotham who introduced me to you she was an austinite fellow austinite yep. at south by and uh i thank you stacy it's really uh, always a pleasure to have you on. Two E's in Wesley, W-E-S-L-E-Y, at daily.co. And, of course, my everybody's favorite Jesuit, <laughs> Father Robert. I don't know why I laugh at that, but okay. Father Robert Ballas. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. Uh, but John McLaughlin used to be my favorite Jesuit. Now you are, so you're in good company. Oh, that's my, really good company. My father went to Jesuit schools. He went to Fordham. Uh, and a Jesuit high school in New York City. Uh, so you guys are, he used to call them God's Marines. Kind of. That's why I'm here. You, you get told <laughs> where to go and you go. It's, <laughs> do you have a, do you go hoorah or anything like that? Do you have a, like a little Jesuit uh, yell? Uh, yes, it, it goes along the lines of, uh, okay. <laughs> Oy vey. <laughs> it's always always a pleasure, Father Robert. Great sense of humor. We love to love to razz him. Actually, I have a question for you. Uh-oh. Who was Saint Valentine, and why do we sell it? Is this his Saint's Day? Is this his official Saint's Day, February fourteenth? This is his official Saint's Day, and um, I don't I don't do the martyrology. <laughs> was he the I, one with all the arrows? No. Uh, no. Yes? No. I don't know. Uh, oh, he was beheaded. Honestly. Sorry. Yeah. He was beheaded. Never mind. I, we we've got the calendar up on the wall and it's 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 interesting because the stories of the martyrs are some of the most gruesome depictions of grim. death you've oh, ever I know. heard. I know. They are grim. So uh, I just kind of pass by that part on the bulletin board. Saint Valentine's Day or officially Saint Valentine of Rome because there are mm-hmm. a dozen Valentine saints. Uh, that's because the Latin word valen, valentinus means worthy, strong, or powerful. So it's very popular back there in the second to eighth centuries. Lots of uh, lots of martyrs named Valentinus. Um, he uh, the he. Let's see which 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 Valentine the Saint Valentine of Rome. Uh, he was a temple priest who was beheaded by the Emperor Claudius. For helping Christian couples wed, they're in. Yeah, that's about right. They're in the romantic, you know, connection. Well, I mean, there there are very few things that are more romantic than getting beheaded, <laughs> especially uh, for the cause of getting people married. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. There was a Pope Valentine. Yes. Little yes. known about. He him. was not beheaded. No, he only served forty days back in. But eight, he did look like a little baby angel and shot arrows made out of chocolate. So, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Valentine is the patron saint of beekeepers and epilepsy, among other things. And I'm told that if you go to the Basilica of Santa Maria, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you you can see his right around the corner. His flower adorned skull is right there. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And and actually, there is 
right now there are three skulls in my house. So okay, uh, anybody we would know? <laughs> no, no, no. One is the proto martyr of Vietnam, wow. um, a martyr, and we have his skull in a display case. Uh, there's a there's a room that has the, the relics. It's a special it's a relic. room that's been locked up. That's right. It's a relic. It's a relic. But uh, it is strange to know that there are just random body parts. body parts. Well, you'll find oh, other Lord. bits of St. Valentine's skeleton in the Czech Republic, Ireland, Scotland, England, and France. If you're, if you're... Yeah, we really like to part them out. It was like the early <laughs> cloud. We made sure that there was a piece everywhere. <laughs> just a little bit. A little yeah. bit. Distributed. Distributed sainthood. Our show today, anyway, we just wanted to get that little historical note in the, uh, in the record. For uh, this St. Valentine's, St. Valentine of Rome Day. Our show today brought to you by ESET. You know, Russell uh, Tammany, who is our official IT guy, he's a, uh, he is, what's, what, is, what do they call a Russell? He's a managed service provider, an MSP. So he doesn't work for us. He's a contractor. He works for wineries and other companies around the Bay Area. But we are so lucky to have him. Russell is kind of, the heart and soul of our operation. And every time I see him when he stops by, I say, Russell, are we safe? It's kind of like that scene with uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier in the dental drill. Are we safe? And he says, yes, we're safe. But I, but are you sure, Russell? He says, Leo, we are safe. We don't have to worry. And I found out the other day why he says that, because we use ESET. We've been using ESET for years, E-S-E-T, Enterprise-Grade Security. That's easy to manage. Russell likes it because he can manage it from the cloud. And we like it because it has such a light system footprint. ESET's always been famous for using few resources, not a lot of memory. They've just introduced something I'm sure Russell will want, the endpoint security management platform. They call it ESET Protect. One of the main features of the new ESET Protect Cloud, which offers easy cloud-based management for businesses of all sizes. There's no restriction on seat size, so it doesn't matter if you grow or shrink. It's all the same. ESET Protect also takes security to a whole new level with a bunch of new bundled products featuring enhanced protection against ransomware. Are we safe? Yes, we're safe. Zero-day threats, full-disk data encryption capabilities for Mac OS and Windows and right now, you can save 20% on these new bundles. You're not only getting the best-in-class cloud-managed protection against advanced attacks, the same kind we use here at Twit, you're enjoying a significant discount, 20% off. ESET Protect Advanced is fantastic for a small business like us, for MSPs like Russell. It has all the security you need. Russell loves the fact that he can be you know, at a winery, uh, you know, uh, 50 miles away and check in on us to see how things are doing with his cloud-based management console. You get endpoint protection. That's really important now because all of our employees are working from home. You get cloud sandboxing. This is one of the things ESET pioneered. It's brilliant. Before an email attachment arrives in our inboxes here, ESET completely transparently, instantly takes the attachment puts it in the cloud in a sandbox, executes it, watches its behavior in a completely safe way, and it can detect a threat, even a zero day before anybody knows about it. He said, protect advanced. It's really great. If you want to go on-prem, he said, we'll do that too. He said, protect can be run on-prem. But either way, you're getting powerful, reliable security based on 30 years of research and innovation. And we've got a free trial and interactive demo for you at business dot eset dot com slash twit 
ESET got top ratings in AV Comparative's Endpoint Prevention and Response Comparative Report. They tested nine vendors. ESET not only got the highest combined prevention and response score in the test, but also demonstrated outstanding overall detection and reporting capabilities. They named them the a strategic leader. That's their top rating, signifying a product that has a very high return on investment and low total cost of ownership, plus exceptional capabilities. Remember, get your free ESET business trial. Get that interactive demo, business.eset.com slash twit. You'll also save 20% on ESET Protect Bundles, but this is a limited time offer, so don't wait. Trust ESET to future-proof your business, business.eset.com slash twit, so that you can say when your client or your employees or your boss asks, are you safe? Are we safe? You could say yes. We're safe. We use ESET. I love ESET. Business.eset.com slash twit. We thank them so much for keeping us safe. You know, when the original story from um, Bloomberg came out and was then immediately denied by many of the companies mentioned, this is the super micro hack, including Apple, super micro, Amazon, which uses the elemental hardware that uses super micro. A lot of people thought, Bloomberg, you got it wrong. Bloomberg never retracted. Uh, They said, we have very good sources. Um... They just, on Friday, put out another story, The Long Hack, How China Exploited a U.S. Tech Supplier. For years, U.S. investigators found tampering in products made by Supermicro. The company says it was never told. They weren't doing it. Neither was the public. When that first story came out, I said, true or not, it is a very important warning about the dangers of the supply chain. You've got to protect your supply chain. Bloomberg now has a lot more details. I think you cannot, I think we now, I don't care what denials you hear, you cannot deny this story. In 2010, the U.S. Department of Defense found thousands of its servers sending military network data to China, the result of code hidden in chips that handled the machine's startup process. In 2014, Intel discovered an elite Chinese hacking group had breached its network through a single server that downloaded malware from a supplier's update site. In 2015, the FBI warned multiple companies that Chinese operatives had concealed an extra chip loaded with backdoor code in one manufacturer's servers. In each of these distinct attacks, two things in common, China and Supermicro, which is a motherboard manufacturer in San Jose. They shared one other trait. U.S. spymasters discovered the manipulations but kept them largely secret as they tried to counter each one and learn more about China's capabilities. I know, uh, Father Robert, you cover hacking, uh, and I'm sure, you know, you had... Did you, with the initial Supermicro report, did you... What were your thoughts at the time? We did. So uh, on both Twiat and KnowHow, we actually took a look at some of the supposedly affected motherboards from Supermicro. Uh, and we did our own set of tests on them. It was really basic stuff, which is we let them run, and we watched all the network traffic every single packet that was leaving the server for the course of a month. We saw nothing. We saw absolutely nothing. We actually went back to the traces to look for traces of chips that were added. Absolutely nothing. Now, the the answer, the response was, well, they didn't modify everything. And like you said... It wasn't super micro. I want to make that very clear. It was in the supply chain. The the motherboards would be shipped. And then at some point between arriving shipment and arriving at the 
end user, they were modified. In fact, Absolutely. Bloomberg yes. says that neither Supermicro nor any of its employees has been accused of wrongdoing. Former U.S. officials who provided information from the story emphasize the company itself has not been the target of any counterintelligence investigation. Right. It's a supply chain attack. Exactly. And, and as you mentioned, we know that that's a vulnerability. Everything that we use from our networking equipment to our phones are manufactured in China. So uh, unless you've got someone there watching every step of the process, there is no way to guarantee that there's nothing added to a motherboard that could be sending data back. Now, there are a few weird things in the story that the way that Bloomberg reported it, they were reporting that uh, laptops and motherboards were being uh, they had malware in the BIOS. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, David, all, these all all of these machines use UEFI, which do checksums now. You shouldn't technically be able to do that. Sure, you, you can drop an extra chip. But if you're trying to tell me that China has developed a way to hack UEFI that is undetectable, I'm going to need more proof than you just bringing on a so-called expert saying, oh, yeah, they've totally done that. You've covered the story, I'm, too, I'm sure, Brian, uh, both in October 2018 when the original story came out. I was really surprised on Friday to see Bloomberg double down on this. What's your thought? Yeah, I actually I actually hadn't seen that that happened probably posted after I, I posted my show. Um, I mean, it, I always come back to these – when these things come up or even like with the solar winds thing – don't we just always have to assume that every that Apple, Facebook, there's there's spies from multiple countries working there actively, at every factory point for software, for hardware, for whatever, there are spies working in these factories to inject things. Like we just have to assume that that's been the case for years now, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, that was my point. Is whether you believe or don't believe the super, the original story from October of 2018. It's clear this is a potential problem. These supply chain attacks are happening. They've happened over and over again. And, and uh, we may, you know, there's a real message that you've got to pay close attention to this stuff. And you can't assume that it, because it's arriving in a sealed box, it hasn't been tampered with. Um, I, you know, I, I'm surprised to see this again in, in, in Bloomberg Business Week. Um, they have more sources. Uh, again, they claim, in, you know, sources in... Law enforcement in the U.S. military. They if 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 a story was that controversial, and you went back and reported more and invested more resources in it, and then doubled down, like that's how many how many man hours. If this is a year later, you got to figure that they really feel strongly about this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, it, and I get that, but what bothers me is they doubled down, and they brought in so-called experts, but. The article that they wrote doesn't really provide any of the technical information we would need as a security community right. to verify that any of, any of this is actually happening. Right. But I always it, wonder it comes Patrick, down with, to it must be happening. With those things, though, are we getting into areas where there is national security things where, like, they can't name names, they can't spec specifically mention an incident because the NSA or the CIA or whoever, whomever it is is like, no, by the way, or the FBI, we're, we're actively working on that. Or the fact that we know that this happened, we don't want people to know that we know that this happened. Yeah, I have well, a theory that, that because, letter. because this has resurfaced, I'm a, it looks to me like – the original sources, and by the by the way, at the time there was some concern that the original sources were motivated by President Trump's animus towards China, that maybe this was a planted story uh, because nobody was able to confirm it later. 
Uh, here it is now. We are a couple of weeks into a new administration. It looks to me like the original sources of the story were concerned that that nobody paid any attention and went back to Bloomberg and said, guys, we got to we got to get people to wake up. They're not paying attention. Does that not seem credible? I agree with you, Robert. They haven't provided, you know, come up with one motherboard with that with that chip on it. Right. You know, well, well look, this is absolutely credible. I have no problem believing that the Chinese government or state run organizations are using the, the supply chain to spy. Uh, I have seen it in person yeah. from a Chinese company, from Huawei. Right. Uh, so that that part is that's obvious. Yes, that's going to happen. Where, where I get frustrated is, OK, I, I hear you. Give me something. Point me in the right direction so I can do some independent verification. And to the point that it might be the NSA stepping in, if there was a security letter, they wouldn't have even let them print the article. So, well, that's you know, my this, that's what I think Brian's yeah. saying. And what I'm saying is they don't want to go on record, really. But they want to they want to send out send an alarm. There's somebody out there whose hair is on fire and they're trying to scream about their hair being on fire as loudly as they can without they showing anybody the smoke. <laughs> right. Because maybe they can't. Yeah, because they, can't. they would they would be put in jail for right. revealing national security things. My guess is that the reason why this was allowed to happen is because these types of infiltration attacks are probably very low priority. If it's a nation state that's getting into your network, they at least know if they are going to use that information for mass like ill that we would have a target to retaliate. So those are more of a they're using it for economic benefits rather than attacking a city or a county or a state or even the nation it is the actors that are the lone wolves it's the actors that are uh that could just try to sow chaos because they know that the repercussions um will not affect them or they're not projecting the the harm to themselves that would cause because of that so my guess is that it was an insider that that's trying to say we should prioritize this Yes. And keeps leaking this information to the press. So they get more resources internally to, to, to reprioritize these types of attack. As they should, as they clearly should be. I mean, the solar winds attack is another supply chain attack. And we know about that. And we know there was a severe consequence to that. Uh, at the end of the article, Bloomberg quotes Frank Fagluzzi, who was the FBI assistant director for counterintelligence until 2012. He's been, you know, a private citizen since then, but he was willing to go on record with this quote, Supermicro's tale of woe is a chilling wake-up call for the industry. Fugluzzi uh, declined to address specifics, but agreed to speak publicly about the implications of Supermicro's history with Chinese tampering. If you think this story, and this is really the bottom line, if you think this story has been about only one company, you're missing the point. This is a don't let this happen to you moment for anyone in the tech sector supply chain. I don't think anybody there, would there, disagree with that. There's an underlying story here, and that is uh, there's a sense of disillusion because we've got players, including tech companies and, and uh, news agencies and the government, the U.S. government, that are essentially saying you should be really worried about them spying on you, but don't be worried when we spy on you. 
Right. Facebook will sell all your information, but China, they're going to do something really bad with it. And at this point, the the average person, the reason why this is not getting more uh, more traction, the reason why it's been forgotten after the the posting last year is people are so fatigued. Yeah, they get it. Their, Their privacy is being invaded. They're not exactly sure who's invading it this week, but they just don't care anymore. Right. And somebody in the chat rooms, uh, Peter Nat is uh, counseling me not to say the Chinese are to blame, but the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. And that is really, uh, you know, an important distinction. Uh, I think that the people of China are uh, a, a really amazing people, an amazing country. Uh, it's the CCP involved in this. And, um, and Belgium. We can always blame Belgium. It's all Belgium's fault. It's always Belgium. There, there, this article has many more names and many more quotes. A lot of more people willing to go on the record, which I think makes it a little bit more substantive. They quote um, a guy named Darren Mott who oversaw counterintelligence investigations in the FBI's Huntsville uh, office. He said a well-placed FBI con- colleague described key details about the added chips for him. This is back in October 2018 when the original story came out. What I was told, this is a direct quote, on the record from Darren Mott, what I was told was there was an additional little component on the Supermicro motherboards that were not supposed to be there. Mott has since retired. He emphasized the information was shared in an unclassified setting. The FBI knew the activity was being conducted by China, the CCP, knew it was concerning and alerted certain entities about it. Mott said at the time he advised companies that had asked him about the chips to take the issue seriously. So I always thought it was puzzling that Bloomberg would go with this story uh, if it weren't true. I thought maybe they'd been played. The fact that the on Friday they came out with an even more detailed uh, story tell, to me says they want people to, to know this is legit. And uh, I think, they're again, the same takeaway. Uh, this, these things do happen. We know it from solar winds and others. These things do happen. But from the U.S. government perspective, if you control the information that is in your network or being extra exfiltrated from your network and you know it's there you also can control the misinformation that you put through that pipe to the governments that are spying on you which may be why they don't want it to be widely known exactly yeah interesting uh, there are a lot more stories but i've kept you guys long enough on valentine's day i'm sure you have places to be and things to do i know i do except for it's you. 2 a.m over here except for you bed. father robert it's no longer <laughs> valentine's day in italy it is such a pleasure to see you robert thank you so much for being here um it's always my pleasure i'm glad we could do this you know i know it's going to be a while before we get you back but i'm glad we could do this it's always great to see you father robert balisser the digital jesuit at padre sj how do i get on your minecraft server father robert Oh, uh, well, you just go over to, um, uh, is it uh, Minecraft, um, MC1 or minecraft.digitaljesuit.com and uh, point, your, point your, your client there. And as long as you're part of our Discord, you automatically get in. You got a lot of press for running a Minecraft server out of the Vatican. We did. We did. And uh, a, a lot of attacks, but those have mostly gone away. And the community that's in there, they're just, they, they know it's something special because everyone is it's not that everyone's nice it's that everyone wants to build something they don't just want to troll we're not we're not a troll server you know it's i I think we're old enough now that we've kind of figured out our place 
in the Minecraft ecosystem. And now we're moving on to things like we've got a Rust server. Uh, we've got Team Fortress 2 running. So that's awesome. if you want to build something up there. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, I love Minecraft. Are people building – what are they building? A beautiful replica of the Vatican? <laughs> The cathedrals are played out. Uh, we've got there's uh, at last count there's probably about 120 cathedrals built on the server. Holy, holy um, cow. And, and I, I don't want to say any more cathedrals. No uh, more cathedrals. Some people have. Yeah, no more cathedrals. Reliquaries. Have, okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> if you want to build bones, go for it. I'm, I'm used to living near them. Uh, Minecraft-mp.com, digital Jesuit, or just go to Minecraft.digitaljesuit. Dot yeah. Com. And you have to, you can't just wander in, right? You have to get- Right. So you actually have to join the, the Discord. So once you join the Discord, you get automatically assigned permission to come into the server. That's why. I but that also the means Discord. that it's very easy to ban you right. from the server. Very smart. Yeah. So start with the digital digital Jesuit Discord server. That's probably the best place there to you go. go. Right. Uh you must be in the Discord server to play. Oh, is that true for the Rust and the and Team Fortress and all that? TFT? Uh, we haven't tied it in on those yet because those okay. are as popular. For for a while there, there were actually a couple of my favorite actors and actresses really? who wanted a geek place to hang out in Rust. Nice. And so I said, hey, come on in. How fun. Felicia Day wanted to play. So Really? Oh, yeah. that's so sweet. Anything else you want to plug? No, no. Oh, oh yes. Uh, so I'm working with this organization now. Um, it's called the Vatican, the church, <laughs> the church of Rome. Look us okay. Up. Yeah. We're on Twitter. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> it's great to see you, Robert. Thank you for being here. Somebody in the chat was saying, OMG has a TF2 server. OMG. Uh, Wesley Faulkner, so great to see you. Anything else you would uh, like to mention? Developer advocate at daily.co Wesley at daily.co Wesley 83 on the Twitter. Did I get it all? Um, yes, there was. Speaking of Twitter, there was someone today, uh, or I tweeted it today, of uh, someone who took Bubble and Daily.co's API and made kind of like a, a kind of like a Clubhouse clone in one day. So, so Bubble's a no no code so solution, and they kind of is. rolled it into <laughs> it. And so, if if you want to see an example of that, I would say check out my stream. Just uh, it's, that easy. It's right under my pen tweet. There it is. There it is. Yeah, just go past my face. Oh, you look so cute. <laughs> and uh, you can see one day right there. One day that. she did that. That's pretty awesome. You could just join a room and create a room. And so it's 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 amazing what people can do today with these these uh, low code no code solutions. Um, and I mentioned earlier in the podcast that we will be replate like putting out a pot, uh, a blog post detailing how if you want to use it daily just for audio and to make your own either audio social network or just your own roll your own application with just audio uh if you go to our blog daily.co slash blog it'll be posted later on this week so depending on when you're listening to this it might be live now so go ahead and check out our blog and keep an eye there and we can we there's a lot of other Good tutorials and lessons on how to use our API, and our free plan gives you two thousand minutes uh, a month. Nice. So a month. You don't even need a credit card. That's nice. A month. That's a good yeah. deal. How's the Komodo dragon? It's <laughs> um, 
it is a bearded dragon. Bearded dragon. the cold weather. Yeah, and I don't I know if you, uh, when you tossed it to me right before the tease, if you heard my kids screaming. I did. It started snowing here in Austin oh, just at that point. I would have screamed uh, too. So Are they're they out inside. There? They're huddling together. We had to use some extra heat lamps to make sure that they stay warm. <laughs> uh, but they are just fine. Pancakes, great. Good, uh, good. We we you have another have one in. called milkshake, and we just combined them into the same cage. Sure. So pancake and milkshake are doing great. Yes. And is this your cat? Yes. <laughs> that is waffles. We have. So all your cat. animals are food names, basically. <laughs> is that right? No. No, no, no. We have various names. We have. I think. I think I covered all of them. You let the uh, kids name. Last I... week we had nachos that perished. <laughs> oh, um, oh that was a, a, a leopard a gecko that we had. Wow. But those are. I think I've covered all of the uh, <laughs> edible names that we have for animals. <laughs> Thank you, Wesley. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Brian McCullough, the tech meme ride home. Is available at techmeme.com. I literally live on TechMeme. And so it's very convenient for me while I'm reading on TechMeme to listen to the TechMeme right home. There's a little player right there on the website. You just press play while you're reading. Well, right. And really, just wherever you're listening to a podcast, say you're listening to one right now, you could search and, and oh, subscribe right wouldn't there. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, not at all. We're approaching three I, I years need to, I need in three weeks. Here. I'm sorry. Brian has yeah. the Tech Meme Ride Home Plus subscription. He's going to be too modest to bring it up, but I will subscribe to his uh, pay-for feed. It's amazing. Well, there you go. He just doesn't want to – he's he's like me. I don't like to market either. Well, it's not only – it's it's. I'd rather if you haven't heard the show – Come hear the show, then. and then I'll try to push you for five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, thank, Wesley, thank you for saying that. I will say that, for example, the bonus episode this weekend was an interview with the economist Noah Smith, looking at the question of is remote, remote work real? Is Silicon Valley dead and over? Et cetera, et cetera. Wow. So those are the fun things you can get on the bonus feed. Wow, and, and he, the interesting raises amazing like if you want to know what's gonna come hearing what how people are raising money in this like environment is great insight it's almost like a a, 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 a crystal ball for oh technology. boy i'm so gonna go it, home it and listen to it right totally now. totally worth it that's awesome that's your next uh your next listen the tech me ride home bonus podcast is silicon valley over thank you all three of you i really appreciate your spending this evening with all of us, thank you for being here too, dear podcast listener. Uh, if you want to watch us do this show live, we do it every Sunday afternoon, uh, afternoon my time, 2.30 Pacific. It's 5.30 Eastern time, 22.30 UTC, middle of the night for Father Robert. All you have to do is go to twit.tv slash live. There are live audio and video streams there. It makes it very easy for you to pick the stream you want to watch. Of course, we uh, have a live chat room going at the same time. In fact, it's going all day and all night, so you can always hang out there with your favorite geeks at irc.twit.tv. Austin is now under a blizzard warning, Wesley. I should let you know. Blizzard warning now in Austin, Texas. That's crazy. Yes, it's changing my life severely. We can't leave. We have to stay at home. That's life insane. Is totally different. Oh, no, it's exactly the same. As oh, okay. Been, yeah, right. <laughs> Instead of wearing a mask, you should wear a mask and a hat. 
That's all. Um, wow. We, if you want to watch on demand, all of our shows on the web, Twit Network are available at our website, twit.tv. They also all have their own YouTube feed, This Week in Tech, among them. You can uh, listen there, subscribe there. Actually, the best place to subscribe, audio or video, is probably uh, your favorite podcast client. If you subscribe, you'll get it automatically the minute it's available at the end of the day. We have a uh, asynchronous forum for those of you who listen on demand. That's uh, www.twit.community. Really a lot of fun in there. I invite you all to stop by. And we even have a distributed Twitter-style social network based on the Fediverse. It's called twit.social. And uh, I'd love to have you in there, too. It's a great place to hang out. Um, I guess that's all I have to say, except thank you for being here. And we'll see you next week. Another twit is in the can. This is Happy Valentine's Day. Day.